Askren was a disappointment. Demi and Maya got his anointment. Went the fire selection and the fire reflections. This is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the average MMA fan, hosted by an above-average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice, and let's get cracking. This is episode 30. Slight milestone. Kind of happy about it. I just saw it right before I was recording. I was like, wow, this is my 30th episode. I won't be really happy until episode 52, because then I will be doing it, I will have been doing it for a year at that point, and that'll be pretty cool. But um, thank you to everyone who's been supporting me uh, as far as been an amazing journey so far. Speaking of amazing journeys, UFC Singapore was not one. I say that with the utmost respect for the talented men and women fighting on that card. I just could not get into it. And I'm one of those guys, we'll get to this later, I'm one of those guys that likes the morning fight cards. It wasn't about the start time, uh, more so the action and and, well, I guess the name value does play into it as well. But there were some fun fights. Um, let's get into those. Now, the prelims, mm, weak, in my opinion. I'm not going to really talk about any of the prelims, except um, Luma Lukbunmi, I think, is uh, going to be someone to watch. Uh, I saw a couple of her fights in Invicta. I remember it was the card that uh, Mallory Martin pulled uh, Habib and was like, you're never getting out of here, just quit, or whatever. He was like yelling at her opponent. Um, Luma Lukbumi fought on that same card. I guess they had trained together in Thailand, and uh, she was like really happy for her, and it was like a cool moment. Um, but um, Luma looks like so like just in the way that like Ben Askren basically just does wrestling in MMA, or J- Damian Maya is just doing jujitsu in MMA. Luma's basically doing Muay Thai in MMA. Like she was really representing Muay Thai a lot in that in that fight, and. That was, in my opinion, um, Stitch Albu, or, or I think that's just her nickname, Stitch uh, Alexandria. Um, anyways, Russian girl with the fat ass. Um, that was her like toughest test, um, just in terms of opposition and and how it plays out. Because that girl um, Albu used to just kind of just dominate people and just kind of smash them, kind of Macy Barber style, and uh, wasn't really facing anybody that could handle her on the feet. And then. Q Luma Luke Boon me who kind of had an answer. She was like tugging at her clothes. And this is the thing, dude. I'm glad she she took it off uh, in the middle of, I think it was between rounds two and three or something. Um, I would like, and I want to sound informed here. I don't want to sound sexist at all. And I want to come at this from a, like a, just a calm, rational point of view. Why do female fighters get to wear a rash guard? and or like a top of some kind and the male fighters cannot obviously they need a sports bra obviously but but why also a rash guard if if men can't wear them i want to know if someone knows if someone can explain uh you know please i just because i'm not i'm not trying to come at it like that's fucking this is bullshit or whatever i just i'm like it it really i'm fascinated by this by this aspect because Someone Juliana Pena's fights, she's the one that always wears a rash guard, and I'm like, that's clearly benefiting her. It's like, it's obviously not cheating because they allow it, but it's like, why can't fucking everyone else use it? I don't know. It's it's weird to me. But um, she, that fight was good. Uh, the heavyweight fights were garbage, 
And um, that's how I feel about that one. Now, okay, Muslim Salikov, the king of Kung Fu. This motherfucker is amazing. I love watching him fight. Um, I tweeted out, I was like, he's going to smash and I will delete this if he loses. Uh, I didn't think he was going to, though. I was not worried about it. And I probably wasn't going to anyway. I just thought it was a funny joke to make. Um, versus Loriano Staropoli. Now, I somewhat overlooked Staropoli. Now, the judges that gave um, the fight to, to Salikov 30-26, um, I agree with. I actually did score probably the, the second round of 10 or whatever. I just, I knew there was going to be a 10 in there somewhere. And I just said 30, 26. I'm not one of those guys that scores a round by round. Cause I don't fucking believe in that. And that's the hill I'm going to die on in regards to uh, judging. But the judge that gave Staropoli one of those rounds, whoever scored at 29, 28, who the fuck were you watching? I mean, What? I guess it, just, it does ultimately doesn't matter because Muslim won, but that that was bananas to me. Uh, that was just that was just crazy. But it was a hell of a fight anyway. I definitely overlooked Staropoli's toughness because I picked Muslim to finish him. I thought it was going to be like inside two rounds, and clearly was not. Um, they he hung in there. It was fairly competitive. It didn't get dominated, but Muslim was winning. You know most of the positions and landing more strikes. So it, it was a clear clear-cut victory for for muslim salikov and i loved his call out dude even if it wasn't like here's the thing like a lot of fighters and, and even some fans resist call outs they're like i don't call anyone out it's just sign of disrespect or it's you know i don't oh, this is trash talk this isn't wwe well why can't we just have good fights first of all stop just stop uh, second of all there's nothing wrong with a respectful call out nothing wrong with it dude just have a fucking name in mind when you get on the mic don't say whoever the ufc gives me i mean this is the worst fucking answer you could possibly give and muslim selikov was like li jing liang uh he's good fighter and i have a lot of chinese fans they would like it let's do these fights in china which is very cool first of all calling out a guy in his home country awesome also calling out a guy who's a fucking cheater awesome like not not really caring that he's a cheater Love it. And I love watching the Leech fight. Um, was very surprised uh, with his last performance against Eliseo uh, Zaleski Capoeira dos Santos. Loved it. Loved every part of that fight and every part of that call out. Um, can't get enough of Muslim Salikov. And um, those, uh, those spinning back kicks were like so quick. So quick. I loved it. I can't. This is going to be like uh, every time Muslim Salikov fights from now on, I'm just going to be like his biggest fan um, until he loses. And then I'm going to turn on him because that's what we do in MMA, right? Just kidding. Now, next fight. Cyril Gann. Gann. I'm trying to do the fucking French and failing. But it's Cyril Gann defeating Dante Mays. Another one that I overlooked. Now, I did pick Cyril to win. I thought it was going to be like a, a second round KO or, or maybe first round KO. Um, and it was weird. Like when I was making my picks, dude, I was thinking Cyril Gann got the arm triangle his last fight, which was so surprising. Them saying he was just signed, he was signed to glory and he came over. He even fights like a kickboxer and then he pulls out that submission. Um, and that thing was like a Hail Mary. He was dominating that fight too, but it was like kind of out of nowhere from a kickboxer. Like, oh my God, an arm triangle? 
Like that's a wrestler submission, right? And then I, I was almost going to pick him to win by submission. I saw wasn't a third round, so it wouldn't have mattered as much. But um, I was going to say, I was like, maybe he's going to fucking do it again. Maybe that's his whole thing. Maybe he beats the fuck out of you until you give up your your neck or or give up a limb, and he just fucking he'll he'll take it home with him. Like that's what I thought. Maybe this guy's gimmick is. And now I'm starting to think I was right initially. And this is where I'm like getting to my when I do my picks for UFC 244. We're going to change up the name of that segment. And I'll get there, but basically, this picking for your brain stuff, picking or picking with your brain or picking with your head, is for the birds. I don't like it, and I'm going back to my old ways, sort of. So um, that's a little teaser for you. But um, he fucking pulls out a heel hook in the third round, and basically he was beating the fuck out of Dantel, but Dantel was tough as hell and not uh, willing to give up. Credit to him. That was an amazing fight, and it takes two to tango. And he's in his guard and just sort of like grabs one of his legs and sits back into the heel hook, um, which if you, if, if, I mean, it was up against the cage too. So, so Dante didn't have much room to roll, but I feel like if you were more well-versed in, in submission defense, that wouldn't have been like, you would have seen that heel hook coming from a mile away and you wouldn't have even let him get there probably. Um, but either way tapped well-deserved win fucking is, uh, now the record holder for the latest submission in UFC heavyweight history. I loved it. Can't can't say enough good things about Cyril Gann. I mean, he's so early in his MMA career that it's it's tough to tell. There's a lot of questions in the forum about where does he go from here? What's his ceiling? How does he do up against the tough heavyweights? The answer, I mean, we'll get there, but the answer is, in short, we don't really know. But I would love to see it um, because he's another guy that might get the the Engano treatment. He might get rushed. Um, but given that they're training partners and and have the same head coach. Um, I don't know that they'll be on the same track unless, you know, Ngannou gets another title shot and loses. Because right now Ngannou is the next fucking big thing. Actually, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, it's hard to fucking sanction that fight with him being like, you know, 5-0 and now. But I was going to say I wouldn't be surprised if they do fucking John Jones versus Zero Gan for him being like, oh, I can, here's a heavyweight I can beat. Let me say so I can tell people I, I fucking fought a heavyweight. Um, but that's... A story for a different day, guys and gals. Um, all right, uh, and that and that thus concludes my correct picking uh, because then we move on to Frank Camacho and Benil Dariush, and this is a, this is one where my heart was saying Benil Dariush. I was like, dude, uh, he's a tough vet. He's been in there a long time. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. This guy can fucking get it done. But I got honey dicked by Frank Camacho's last fight, dude. I was like. His patience, his new camp with Timoyama, he's gonna he's gonna you know, not play it safe, but he's gonna know how to avoid the grappling of Benil. Wrong. Um Benil was A winning on the feet or at least being competitive and, and landing good shots, and then choked the fuck out of him in round one. So that was awesome to see. Um so didn't need to thank God in his post fight interview. So didn't need to say uh the belt is not whatever he said about the belt and God, he was like, I already have God's love, so I don't need the belt. I mean, what? Uh, but loved Benil Dariush's fight and credit to him. And then um, the Michael Johnson fight. Here's the thing. I've said time and time again on this podcast, you cannot call a close fight a robbery. That said, I did have Michael Johnson winning. 
and there's a lot of people from uh, across the pond that had Stevie Ray winning, and that's fine. And I don't disagree with you necessarily, but on my scorecards, it was Michael Johnson. So uh, I was a tad shocked with the decision. And the judges had it differently. They, it was, I think it was a unanimous, or sorry, a majority decision. I want to say one judge had it a draw, which is actually probably fair. Um, and then one judge had it all three rounds for Stevie, Sabiast. And then one had two rounds for Stevie, one for Michael Johnson. Um, also, like... People need to stop when they beat Michael Johnson, like stop reminding everyone that he beat Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. We get it. Uh, That's why he's still here. But dude, just take the win. (laughs) I mean, I mean, Stevie Ray's always done that, though. Like when he beat Ross Pearson, he was like, not a lot of people would take that fight on short notice, especially coming off a loss. He said that like three times in his fucking post-fight interview when he beat Ross Pearson. I was like, dude, Stevie, stop. Um, people from Scotland already hate me, um, but I still love you. And I want to move on with that because I want to talk about Ben Askren versus Damian Maya. Now, I said before the fight, you know, last week, and I think a few times on Twitter, I said this as well. The story of Ben Askren in the UFC has yet to be written because he had the debut against Robbie Lutler. Some call it controversial, uh, I mean, I guess it is controversial for, for the fact that the controversy exists and there are people that believe it was a bad stoppage. I'm not one of those people. So for me, I don't call it a controversial uh, decision or a controversial win. Um, and, and and there's also people that say you could make the argument that it shouldn't have got to that point because you could have stopped it in the beginning when he was getting fucked up by Robbie on the ground. Now, this to me is not an argument because he didn't. And he got to a point where he got a dominant position. So with the fact that you think it could have been stopped, the fact that he was able to to get out of that and then implement his game plan proves that it was an okay stoppage, in my opinion, at least for not stopping it in that first part. Now we can talk about whether or not uh, Robbie was out. I actually think um, I have some thoughts on that that I'm going to in the forum. But um, So he has the controversial fight with Robbie Lawler. Then he gets knocked down to five seconds against Jorge Masvidal. So we hadn't really seen what he can do in the UFC because, you know, yeah, it was a bad loss, but it was also a five second loss. Um, that fight did not tell us much against either guy other than, um, Jorge knew exactly what Ben was going to do and exactly how to beat that. Um, but in, in terms of like growth and, and, and skills didn't show much. We already knew Jorge was badass and we already knew, um, Askren was going to die for a takedown right away. Um, but in terms of the, the fight, dude, I have to say this, in Ben Askren's 20-plus professional fights and his, what, like a decade of fighting in mixed martial arts, you got to have more striking than that. I understand that you have been able to take everyone down and smash them up to this point, save for the two guys in the UFC, uh, in one and a half, whatever, um, and you've been dominant but that's no fucking excuse. And even after the after the Jorge Masvidal win, I think Paul Felder was on the broadcast uh, in some fashion. Or they did some sort of post-fight interview and, and uh, Ariel Hawani was asking Paul his thoughts. I think it was Ariel. Someone that was like, you know, this is a this is a teammate of yours or whatever. And Paul goes, uh, not really. Yeah, he trains with Duke and Duke's his head coach, but he doesn't really train a roof sport. He really just works his wrestling and brings Duke in to hit pads. 
And I'm like, okay, so 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 yeah, that that makes sense now because looking at it, he has a, a hubris. Now the uppercut was money, um, that was good, but everything else, those um, b- people are like sharing the little clips and gifts of of his like missed spinning backfist. I mean, like, gonna start working this into my dance routine, which I think is kind of funny. But um, come on, bro, come on, bro. I have better striking than that. I understand Ben Askren would fuck me up if we fought because it would take me down and smash me and probably choke me out because actually he's the scrambling was so good. That second round is exactly what I wanted in this fight. Like I feel like the, the story on Ben Askren is now written fully. And, and now the story is great grappler, terrible striker, mediocre fighter. When you put those together, it's like the mean, like what is like a, he's a five in, in grappling, like out of five or whatever, you know, or four or whatever you want to say as a one in striking. And then that equals a fucking two and a half or whatever. Um, that's it, dude. That's it. That's it. Uh, because actually he was able to sweep Damian Maya sometimes or, or get out of some submissions that were really, I think like, like the, um, the part where he had Damian Maya down, the takedowns were amazing. And, um, uh, Damien then rolled into an omoplata. Ben Askren rolled out of that, and then just that that whole sequence was was fucking great. And it, there was some of that in the third round, and it just was like Damien Maya figured him the fuck out, and that's why that's why Damien Maya's the best grappler in MMA. Uh, I really think this was for that. I mean. I was watching an old break. This is a long time ago. I was watching a breakdown of uh, a, a Gracie breakdown that uh, Henner and Heron do. I want to say it was a, a, a Hodger Gracie fight. It was one of their family members, and it was like a title fight over in an organization um, either in Russia or Japan, I want to say. Or it could have been one, but I don't think so. Um, anyway, um, he was fighting, I think, another black belt. And they were saying, is it, there's a difference between some, some black belts. You know, there's there's black belts, and then there's a black belt. And he was saying how they, you know, submission, you know, they'll learn from how you defend certain things. Sort of like how, um, I think they also said this when they broke down uh, Tony Ferguson's triangle over Kevin Lee. They He learned from a certain exchange that Kevin Lee will go to one side when he's trying to avoid a, a triangle or, or an armbar. It was a certain like transition. It is like, you're going to do that same thing. I'm going to capitalize on that and then get you into this position. And that's exactly what happened. Like Damian Maya learned um, Astrid's escapes and was able to get his fucking back and do that like one arm choke. And Astrid tapped and napped. It was great because we got the moment where he admits that he is beaten when he like taps, but it was only a single tap, and then he still goes to sleep, and the ref pulls him up. So good. Uh, love Damian Maya, and I love the respect. I love the respect leading up to fight week. Uh, some people thought it was fake just because Askren was like coming off a loss, and he was just like trying to be. He was like humbled or whatever. But I think he, Ben Askren is the most honest like fighter we have, or one of them. You know, um, in terms of like, I mean, he's certainly not honest about his overall 
skills as a fighter, as a mixed martial artist, but in terms of like his assessment of certain situations and willingness to like admit defeat and stuff like that, is so honest, right? Because he, he was saying how he respects Damian Maya a lot for being one of the few jujitsu guys who learned to wrestle, and um, they they were all very complimentary during fight week. And Damian Maya's post on Instagram, I think I shared it on my story. It was awesome. He was saying how I, mean, I would still love to train with Ben in the future. This fight, I learned a lot about myself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I thought that was so so classic, Damian Maya. All class, that guy. And so, thus concludes UFC Singapore. And I want to say about the start time. Please, UFC, don't do this. I understand, like, fight nights that are over the seas, you kind of want to stick to the same, like, time schedule. Like, you know, prelims start at 6 local time or whatever. Main card starts at 8 local time or 10 if it's a pay-per-view or whatever. But, like, dude, find a happy medium. Start maybe two hours later. They'll stay. The locals will stay up. I promise you. They're, they're so happy to have the UFC in their town. They will stay up, dude. Jesus, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I also don't mind it. Um, it's it's just it's too early, especially if you're on the West Coast, dude. With the last time they came to Singapore, when Holly Holm fought Beth Kohea, and question mark kicked the fuck out of her. I remember not setting an alarm. See, both both times I didn't set an alarm because my ass is up early anyway, and I I was willing to miss the first couple of prelims. Like the the last time when they um when they fought in Singapore, um, I just like woke up and just started watching right away, and I can't even remember. I remember uh, Darren Till was on that card. That was his like return after shoulder surgery or something like that. And I was like, all right, let's watch these fights. And then it just t- takes a couple for you to get woken up. I like a fight card. I like a fight card like Abu Dhabi was a few weeks ago when I think the prelim started at 10 Eastern. Get up. I have a cup of coffee. Make myself some fucking nice, uh, like a nice scramble, a nice little home-cooked breakfast. And then you start watching the fights. Perfection, dude. I think they had a, a card in Belfast that was on Fight Pass years ago that was like a similar timeline. Love it. Yes. More of that. So... So that those are my thoughts on uh, the start times of the card and the card itself. Overall, it, w- it wasn't bad, you know, but um, not my favorite. But oh boy, do we have some great fights on the horizon, um, which we're going to talk about towards the end of this podcast. But for now, let's take a break, and then we'll get into some current events. And we're back. All right, uh, let's uh, let's talk about some news, shall we? This is. Um, this first thing is something I'm I'm very torn about, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because, so Greg Hardy is is replacing JDS to fight Alexander Volkov in UFC Moscow, which uh, I believe is November sixteenth. It's it's anyways it's coming up, and um, Junior Santos got injured. Greg Hardy threw his name in the ring, and they made it happen. It's one of those things where it's a brilliant PR move by his team because right now what's fresh in everyone's minds is the inhaler gate. And um, this is an opportunity for him to sort of like, not redeem, but I don't know. Because now everyone's going to be like, oh, he stepped up on short notice. I kind of pat him on the back, you know, and um, 
I'll admit that I will never pat him on the back. And um, that's how I feel about that. But my first thought was like, yeah, Volkov's going to fucking give him the business. And then I was like, uh, maybe not. Because Volkov's biggest advantage is his reach and height. And Greg Hardy's almost his size. I mean, in terms of height, he's bigger than him. He weighs more for sure. Volkov um, doesn't have to cut to make 265, whereas Greg Hardy does. Now, um, I hope that ass brings uh, his nebulizer or whatever the fuck he needs and uses it before he gets in the cage. Because to have that shit during the fight is, is uncalled for. We talked about this already. That's that's another deal. But um, Volkov is really good at sort of playing from the outside, and he uses his range really well. You know, Greg Hardy for his 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 range, he doesn't really fight like a long fighter, but he's explosive, and that's how the fuck Derek Lewis beat Volkov is by taking a beating for two and a half rounds and then uncorking a big bomb at the end. So um, that's something that Greg Hardy can certainly do. So I'm, I'm ready to like fucking already bury him, but then again, I'm not. Like if he wins, we're going to have to... F- the only positive is that if he wins, we're going to have to face the fact that he's going to now be facing elite heavyweights because... Well, the way the rankings are set up, you pretty much take the rank of whoever you beat, and, and Volkov is ranked. So they can't keep feeding him people that they signed to the UFC just to just to fight him. You know, I'm not willing to call everyone a can. Like Ben Sosely, um had probably one of the better records of his opponents, um, and um, took him the distance while not really. I don't know if you would call Ben Sosely. UFC caliber, but what is UFC caliber anymore? I mean, Greg Hardy's in the UFC, right? So, um, it's a weird, it's a weird situation to be in. I'm like wanting to be super passionate about this, but at the same time, I'm like sad, kind of, because it's, it's one of the things that could go very wrong easily. But I guess I got to give him credit for stepping up. You know, that's something I certainly didn't think he would do, especially with the fact that he has to cut to 265. I don't know where, how, where from. But um, the, there was, you know, some reports or whatever that he was having trouble with weight cuts earlier on that he's now finally kind of managing it, I guess. But, you know, back-to-back weight cuts like this are, are tough. So, I don't know. Especially his first time fighting overseas. Crazy stuff. I guess I'll get more excited about it when uh, the fight gets closer. But moving on, um, the next bit of news uh, came out is that Aldo is going to fight a bantamweight. So I'm going to I'm going to play a message from Oli Ra, and then we're going to talk about it. Yo, what's fucking going on, Juice? Oli Ra here. Um, so I just fucking knocked off work, munging on some blueberries. Thought you know I'll check Twitter out and see Jose. Jose fucking Aldo moving down to 135 to fight Marlon Moraes. And, um, yeah, if he gets the win, he fucking catapults himself right up to the top of 135. But fuck, man, can he even make the weight? Because 
we all know he fucking struggles to make 145. So, I don't know. How, how do you think he's going to go at making 135? And if he does, how does he uh, match up with Marlon Moraes? All right, this this is another thing where I'm like, I don't know, because Aldo and Marais, like if they were to fight at a catchweight or if Marais were to move up, I would be super excited for this fight. It's a fucking great fight. And um, there were reports that Aldo was going to move to Bantamweight earlier. And I don't know if I talked about it because I was like, that's not happening. Um, but now it looks like it's it's happening. And there's even like pictures of him. Like, I don't know if it's – people are saying he's doing a test cut. I don't know if that's the – the case i think he's just getting down and showing how shredded he is because it takes a sig a significant lifestyle change to do that um it's a diet change and you have to like run a lot like um uh, brandon davis talked about when he moved down from featherweight brandon davis is actually i think bigger than jose aldo but people's body composition is different so that's not always a good comparison but he runs like 20 miles a day just to make bantam weight and um Aldo, at his old age, like weight cuts only get harder as you get older. And he's looked like death at 145 consistently. But um, there is a school of thought that thinks, you know, because that was the goal, you know, you do it differently. So you still have that, that. Ultimately, people try and cut the same amount of water. So they'll get down to within 10 pounds and, you know, cut 10 pounds of water or whatever. So, um, like fuck, you know it's 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 such a tough call. Like, I don't want to talk too much about this fight until it's like five week and we see how he looks, if he's fucking healthy. Because Aldo has taken some fucking damage, bro. And when you are depleted and dehydrated from a weight cut, and your brain has less fluid in there, the knockouts come easier. And those knees from Marlon Moraes and those fucking switch kicks to the dome are no joke. He's like the fucking bantamweight Edson. They have the same. Uh, kickboxing coach in uh, Hermes Franca or, or whatever. Or no, Anderson Franca. That's Hermes Franca is the fighter that, from the WC days or whatever. Dude, all like weight cut issues aside, it's an awesome fight. So I'd like to be cautiously optimistic at this time and say like it's going to be amazing and that he's going to... Because like, like Ollie said, it, it's, it's a high-risk, um, high-reward situation because if he... If he loses, it could be the end of his career, at least at Bantamweight. And then there's not much for him left at Featherweight. Like, he already is kind of, like, nearing the end. So I don't know what, what the angle is here. But if he wins, he'd be a guy that just um, fought for the title and was on a huge streak before that. So, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. But I don't know, man. Like... I'm worried for Jose Aldo. You know, he's he's had to use the towel to make 45 a couple times. So um, I, I hope he's doing it right. Um, I hope he's not using someone like George Lockhart, um, who used to be touted as one of the better nutritionists, and lately people have been fucking firing him right and left. And uh, just, you know, terrible, terrible weight cuts, in my opinion. All right, the next thing... I want to talk about is the whole Nate Diaz versus USADA situation. And originally when this news came out, it was that, you know, Nate Diaz put out a statement with the new rules with USADA. If, if the investigation is still pending and they haven't made a decision, they don't put out the news and you're not obligated to. So Nate did not have to say anything. Um, and if he didn't, 
there would be no question about the main event. And obviously now there's not. We know that. But um, there wouldn't have been question of whether the fight was in jeopardy. And they just would have the fight. And maybe afterwards it would have come out. If at all. Because as we now know, he's been exonerated. Right? So a statement came out. He's like, you know, there was a test in my um, thing. Um, you saw I said I can still fight. But, you know, you guys are on fucking steroids. I'm not. I'm paraphrasing. You know, um, he's got that that crazy Diaz brother logic of like, I've never lost a fight. Um, and, um, everyone else is on steroids and I'm the only one who's not cheating. Um, which the whole, everything is on steroids thing. Like if you want to say a blanket statement, that's fine, but there's plenty of people also not cheating. And I like when, when that news came out, I was like for a second, I not believe that Nate Diaz has ever taken something, um, fucking contaminated or whatever. I mean, maybe he's taking something contaminated, but never has purposely ingested any fucking, um, Thing that could actually give you benefit, you know, like it's just crazy to me. And so, in my notes, I wrote Nate Diaz is out of UC 244 because I did not see UFC or USADA stepping up to the plate to say, Hey, we were wrong here. You know, organizations like that are not willing to admit that they're wrong and or, or really sort of backtrack anything. And it took Josh Barnett a fucking year and a half through arbitration to prove he was is innocent and get exonerated. It took uh, JDS like eight months. And I think actually, maybe he didn't. I think it was probably just he got a small sanction or something like that. It's sometimes take these guys a while to, to clear their name. Sean, Malley is still, Sean O'Malley is still out there, um, not cleared to fight, I believe. Although I think his suspension is over. I think he just keeps, there's like a pulsing effect, uh, sort of similar to John Jones with this Austrian shit. And I'm like, that's all confusing in its own fucking right. But um, I want to play a question that was sent to me from a good friend of the show. You know him as the MMA dude or Phil. Um, good friend of mine, good friend of the podcast, and I want to play his question. All right, Juice, you win. This is Phil the MMA dude from the Split Decision Podcast, and you win, motherfucker. You're getting an audio question, okay? You get one, okay? So, uh, look, here's my question. Obviously, the last 24 hours have been crazy regarding the Diaz-Masvidal fight. First, we heard from Diaz himself saying that he had been flagged for a potential anti-doping violation. And within 24 hours, USADA completely folded to Nate and unequivocally said that he was completely innocent of any wrongdoing after many other fighters have had uh, multiple months and oftentimes multiple years to get USADA to come to a conclusion one way or another. Nate did it in 24 hours. So my question to you is this. Is this either A, uh, some sketchy, sketchy shit from USADA that is really just showing that, you know, they're letting Nate uh, fail these these tests with a supplement and just letting the fight go on uh, because the fight is a big money fight? Or B, is this showing just how flawed USADA's program is and kind of make you wonder, you know, why haven't other fighters been, been forcing USADA's hand, uh, you know, in these types of situations? Because to me, there's only two options. One is that Nate is beating the system and at least cheating somewhat, even if it's by accident. And then the other option is that USADA's a joke. I, I think there's a, you've got to fall on one, one way or the other, uh, at least somewhat so that's my question it's an audio question motherfucker i didn't want to send one but you got it all right peace out 
Yes, I love this. First of all, thank you for sending one in. I really appreciate it. Um, the voice questions just add another element to the show. But I do want to say this. Um, if anyone ever feels like they have to um, send an audio question versus a, a Twitter or DM or, or whatever, um, do not feel obligated. It's just sort of a bonus and it's sort of fun. But it's also like some people are like, you know, I see some people online like saying, hey, you should you should call into the Finding With Myself podcast. You should send it because you want to hear people's voice. Well, guess what? You get to hear Phil's voice week by week on the Split Decision podcast. So so if you're listening to the show and that's the first time you've heard his voice, you're doing something wrong. Uh, that's my opinion. And uh, definitely check out his show he does with the Fight Geek uh, because it is a two-person show. A lot of people forget that. And um, that's uh, not fair to... My bro, Fight Geek. Now, also love that Phil deals in absolutes. It's like you got to be this way or that way, and there's no in between. I'm going to be a, a fence rider or whatever. I don't think it's black and white, Phil. I think it's gray. I think it's a, a you know, it's it's more complicated than you're making it. Now, the if I had to pick one or the other, I would say it's it's that USADA is incredibly flawed and then it's a joke. Because I want to say this. When um, USADA first came to the UFC... And full disclosure, that's kind of around the time that I started being an MMA fan again, um, or at least full, fully invested in being an MMA fan. And so I didn't know much about the pre-USADA era other than having gone back and watched you know, a good portion of those fights. I've, I've watched a lot of fucking old fights. Um, but in terms of like, you know, being invested in it in the present time, I've pretty much only been in the USADA era, but it's it's also also gotten worse and more. Um, uh, they've cracked down way more since I've since I've started, and I gotta say this: I was very like pro USADA at the beginning because I don't I don't think um, any type of athletic endeavor um, should really be using any sort of performance enhancement. Um, you know, it's got to be a level playing field. And uh, Mark Hunt has had this um, point before. Um, people know Mark Hunt as being like very anti-steroids, but it, but he was also like, he said one point, like, if you want to have a chaining leg and a non-chaining leg, that's okay. So that the fucking chaters can all use that shit in their own leg. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that makes sense. If you want to have a league where people can do that, go do it. And a lot of people say, oh, that's Ryzen, that's 1FC. I'm like, yeah, kind of, but... You know, it's it's not it's not really like in the world of um, uh, this. I don't really like making comparisons to other sports or anything like that. But um, in the world of professional bodybuilding um, or um, powerlifting as well, maybe it's not bodybuilding. Maybe it's just powerlifting. They have like you know, a, you can use steroids or PEDs, and you can't. They have like separate ones, um, ones where they're drug tested and ones where they're not. So um, the whole USADA thing, there are. There are very clear reasons, in my opinion, to not use steroids in mixed martial arts. Uh, you're dealing with people's health and their lives and brain trauma. And like, you know, we're not swinging baseballs here. If you're a baseball fan and you don't want your guys to use steroids, that's fine. But I would personally rather see, you know, juiced up guys than fucking skinny assholes uh, playing the most boring sport of all time. Um so that's fine, but I'm just kidding, baseball fans. But go Angels. However, you know, boxing and MMA like needs to be 100% clean with a caveat. The whole ban list from USADA 
is terrible. If fucking Chad Mendes got banned for some psoriasis cream, are you kidding me? Like, and I'm not like a Chad Mendes fan. I'm not one of those guys that are like, oh, he should have beat Aldo or whatever. Like, that's fine. Dude, that should not be fucking banned. Like, there are so many things that are on that list that people are popping for. And the the, the amount of doses, dude, like, they're not even beneficial. So while I, I think you saw it as a great job of, of cracking down actual steroid cheats, the fucking, the violations that come out nowadays are, like, a joke in my opinion. Like, it... it People know that they're randomly tested. People know that they're not, you know, whatever. And then they're not going to be doing that. Now, the other argument is that you're responsible for everything that goes in your body. So you're right. People should be checking the supplements. They should be tested. But even some of the fucking third-party tested ones, people are getting popped off of those. It's so dumb. That's why Yoel Romero won a fucking lawsuit for $27 million that he's never going to get. It's It's crazy. So I don't think Nate in any way was cheating, and there's no there's no planet where I'm going to believe that. Um, I mean, unintentionally maybe, but not not really. Like that that's just not you know Nate's a vegan, or uh, at least I think he has fish every now and then or something. He, does, he even said in a statement, he said I don't even fucking eat meat. Like that to me is just um, there's no argument for that. But there is an argument for what what transpired, which is this. Um, he didn't have to say anything, and the fight could still happen. I mean, obviously, it's still going to happen, but there was some question for about 24 hours. And I, th- and I think the, what he deserves to be at least complimented in some regard for doing that, for being, for being willing to walk away from a massive payday and saying, if you guys don't fucking fix this and clear my name, I'm not fighting on your fucking show. And that, dude, is why we love Nate Diaz. And... um there was a time when uh, people were talking about Leon Edwards and um, I was like, oh, thank God we don't have to watch Leon Edwards fight. And uh, the 12 of his fans got really mad at me and I blocked one of them as a fucking troll. Actually, I think two, uh, but that's fine. And and I like to go hard on it because Leon Edwards is boring as fuck, but he is a damn good fighter. I am well uh, willing to admit that. And um, that would be a good fight for him to watch, but not on this card. Not when I have the option of fighting Nate Diaz. I don't even want to fucking think about that dude right now. Um, but in my opinion, he does, he does deserve to, to fight for a title next. I will say that about Leon Edwards. Um, he's, he's put in the work. He's on a Y five, went through, can it's tough with the vision of the sport, you know, so he deserves to, to fight for a title, but not the fucking BMF title, dude. That is a, that is a title for two guys with double digit losses who have been fucking slinging it. Uh, in the lightweight and welterweight division for years and are finally getting their due. I don't give a fuck if you think it's corny. I don't give a fuck if you think the fact that they lost uh, tons of times makes them not badass motherfuckers. I don't think if you think, you know, being undefeated uh, makes you a bad motherfucker. It doesn't. That's not what this title is about. Um, So I'm glad we're getting it. And I want to say, you know, the, the whole USADA era has just been weird. And there's a lot of questions about it, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to um, get into it right now. But f- for me, if I had to pick Phil to answer your question, USADA is a joke. Or at, le- at the very least, incredibly flawed in the way their system is set up. Because there are some good things. Like the fact that they're randomly drug testing and showing up people's houses you have to do your whereabouts is is good. And uh, like people have had to like fucking whip out their dick in front of them. Like I'm, I'm pissing here. Hey, look at me. It's not fake pee. 
Um, by the way, fake pee. I have, there's a whole another story about that that pisses me off, but um, we're going to move on from that. Um, so thank you for your question, Phil. And next next bit of news is Sergio Pettis going over to Bellator. There were a lot of people that um, uh, were kind of laughing at this, and um, there was even some funny memes. <laughs> even if I disagree with the meme, I'll still laugh at it if, if it's well done, like doing the the Drake fucking thing in the stupid hotline bling video where he's like ignoring something and like looking away and then seeing something else and pointing to it and be like yeah it was like uh Sergio Pettis looking at UFC bantamweights no 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 UFC uh Sergio Pettis looking at Bellator bantamweights yeah like point it that's funny as fuck to me but um I want to say this um Sergio Pettis is um one of those guys that um it's almost like he should be fighting at 130 like he's not quite as big as the um bantam weights but he's sort of like the kevin lee of fucking 125 135 right like he's he's not quite a bantam weight but he's he has some trouble making flyweight he's a bigger guy uh taller anyway and um it's one of those things where they fucking played mind games with all the flyweight saying they were going to cancel the division that's why he tried to move up to 135 anyway and then they brought it back he was able to fight a flyweight and it's just he's not cutting it but um, in my opinion, this is a, this is a case of wanting to make more money. I don't think it's uh, anything to do necessarily with um, level of competition. But if someone wants to go and fight Bellator and, and where they can have um, proper sponsors and be promoted properly, uh, I got no problem with it. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look forward to Sergio Pettis doing his thing over in Bellator. And I also think it's good for the Pettis brothers to be fighting in different. Um, organizations because Sergio fought on the same card as Anthony Pettis when he defended his title against RDA, I believe. And Sergio got knocked out and it did not sit well with Anthony. And that was a, he says a big part of why he lost his title. I mean, not to make excuses or anything, but he said it would, it didn't put him on in a right mind mindset. Uh, probably as a stylistic thing, I think RDA probably would have won anyway, but I'm just saying like, that sort of thing is not good. You know, I seen your brother get fucking knocked out. Dude, if my brother got knocked out and I had to go fight another human being, I'd be fighting super emotional and just like not in the right place. So I think it's good for them to be in different organizations. The last bit of news I have is Randy, the natural couture versus a heart attack. Now you guys already know what this is. Um, he reportedly, I don't know how far away he lives from Cedar Sinai, but that means he lives in Beverly Hills, uh, right? Because um, I've been to Cedar Sinai. Actually, credit to Cedar Sinai, they took really good care of my wife um, when she was just my girlfriend when we were living over there, and um, I'd only been to to Kaiser in West LA, or or Kaiser in North Hollywood, or or Hollywood, pretty much a Kaiser guy. But um, she was like, I'm going to fucking Cedar Sinai when she had rhabdo, but didn't know it was rhabdo. Um, she got seen very quickly in the emergency room and then was admitted very quickly. Um, and once they figured out it was rhabdo, they're like, no, you got to fucking uh, get treated right now. And um, the, the people that were working like round the clock, it was such good like patient care. 
uh, was very, very happy that we were there at Cedar Sinai, which is why I think they did a good job of taking care of Randy. He fucking walked because he didn't want to uh, deal with Beverly Hills traffic or LA traffic or, or whatever you want to call it. And he fucking walked to the emergency room. He thought it was like a dislodged rib or something, apparently. Like he didn't know it was a heart attack. He just was having pain and it didn't go away. And then um, they said it was a heart attack. And then he fucking walked home as well. He's like, I walked here. I'm going to walk home. Bad ass, dude. Should be given a fucking medal for that shit. And I guess that's that's all I have to say right now regarding that but i just thought that was cool like credit to cedar sinai that's a if you're not from that area you know like that's a hospital that a lot of the celebrities go to um for for good reason like it's not just like they want to be treated like a celebrity or whatever they just, it's the fucking they can afford the best care and that's where it is um cedar sinai is the shit and now ladies and gentlemen guys and gals we're about to get into the forum so let's just get right the fuck into it all right, all right, all right. Let's get into this fucking forum here, shall we? First question comes from my man, Shane Tara. And the title of the question is, I'm too high to re-record this. Yo, Jews. So I was listening to some Chelsea and <clears throat> talking about my boy... Chan Sung Jung, um, and I want to know what's your favorite Korean zombie fight. I think for me it's probably that first Korean uh, Leonard Garcia fight because god damn. Yeah, so just how good is Chael Sonnen? <laughs> Too good. Until he sta- started fucking being a Greg Hardy nut hugger. I was not okay with that. I'm still not okay with it. If you guys haven't heard Chell Sonnen's latest podcast, he fucking was like, Greg Hardy was doing out things that I've never seen a heavyweight do. He was fainting, using his hips. like He looked like Machida. I was like, bro, turn the fuck around right now. I turned off the podcast, and I just barely finished it. It took me... I had to digest it in segments. It was so fucking tragic. Um, that was an unnecessary Chell Sonnen tangent. Um, the... The Korean zombie. You know what? That first Leonard Garcia fight goes down in history as one of the best MMA fights of all time, I think. Even though there have been so many. I mean, it's, it's really hard to pick. But um, that's the thing about a guy like Korean zombie. He's got so many amazing fights to choose from. Uh, I like the second Leonard Garcia fight, too, where he got the twister. That was pretty fucking awesome. You could see a twister in the UFC. I don't think there's been another one. I was trying to look. I know Shayna Baszler got one actually before the Korean zombie that was not in the UFC. Um, and uh, it's it's something that, that should be done more often, I feel. I also liked his fight against Dennis Bermuda just because he was coming off like a three or four year layoff of like being in military service. And people were like, how's he going to do? Dennis Bermuda is, is still kind of surging or whatever. He was kind of like still active. And uh, Korean Zombie knocked him the fuck out. With an uppercut, I was like, dude, Korean Zombie's the man. And uh, he doesn't look like a knockout artist, but his fucking timing and the precision, like he just, he knows how to hit the fucking button. Like the Moicano fight, his last fight. And um, I guess that goes to show just how good is, I can't even, can't even bring myself to say it. I was going to say his other fight um, that was, you know, fight of the year last year 
with the crazy up elbow knockout. Um, dude, just the fact that I'm taking so long to come up with it just proves that there's so many uh, great Korean zombie fights. I would have to choose probably the second Leonard Garcia fight, but the first one, again, one of the best fights of all time. I said to go against the grain, you know? Call me a hipster, if you will. And uh, Shane has got so many others, but we're going to play them all because that's the kind of podcast this is. Juice. Just finished watching the main event. And obviously I still have to watch the rest of the card because I'm watching it backwards. But I just watched the main event. And man, Damien fucking Maya, dude. I have been a fan of his for a minute. And I just, I was excited for that matchup. But I was really nervous to see him fight Ben Askren. Because Askren's younger. Um, and he's definitely a problem for someone like Damien Maya. But man, that, that finish was fucking awesome. Uh, there are, I had a couple questions for you about that. My first question is, how cool is it that Ben's like, all right, fuck it, I'll tap it, but he doesn't, he doesn't tap until he's literally passing out, which is pretty fucking cool. Um, I want to know what how you thought about that, and then um, I think a more interesting question is, did you notice the way that the crowd went crazy uh, for Danny and Maya? Um, why do you think they were more excited for Danny and Maya to win? And then it cuts off. You know, it's interesting. First of the, I, I think it's interesting that we're um, both in the same wavelength about the tap. Because I talked about it in my recap. He basically tapped and napped. You know, like they say, tap or nap. He fucking tapped as he was passing out. So, like, perfect timing for that. And um, the second part, it's interesting. Like, I, I said this in my uh, breakdown last week. Um, the fact that, Ben used to fight in one, and then he's fought three times in that arena and four times in Singapore overall. Um, makes him somewhat of the hometown guy, or like more of like a more known fighter to them. But I think that goes to show that the Singapore crowd's an educated crowd um, because they were going crazy over some of the scrambles too, and um, just like the ground uh, work in general, and um, just happy for a guy like. Uh, like Damian Maya, who's such a traditional martial artist and is so respectful and um, well-spoken. I also think um, there may be a little bit of like what everyone else says. They want Ben Askren to lose. Like um, he, he said that he had to tone down some of his, um, you know, quote unquote trash talk when he was over in one that didn't really go over with them. So maybe they, they liked how dominant he was and how he was winning, but it's just like fucking Ronda Rousey, dude. People love a dominant champion but they also love to celebrate their downfall which is so fucked up and i can't say that i've not participated in it because i have and um yeah i think i think there was a little bit of that playing into that as well but it was still it's still just like a great finish in general so you know i i think we sometimes play play too much into the way crowds react you know for some reason we think the people that go to a UFC event that actually pay money to go see it in, you know, whatever town they're in, or sometimes several towns over, even a state over, if it's close enough, um, that they might be more of a casual fan. But I, I like to think that those are more hardcore fans, at least on the spectrum, they're swinging in that direction. And um, they might just be kind of going crazy for um, that kind of finish, regardless of the result. You know, although if Ben Askren had got that finish, if it was like the other way around, the arena probably would have went nuts because like, like who's ever submitted Damian Maya? So, yeah, I guess that's how I feel about that. I think it's just about respect. 
and um, being educated, being an educated fan. And <laughs> tell this next one is called Fighting with Damien Maya podcast. It's so funny. Okay, Juice, it's your boy Shane Tara once more. Two hypothetical breakdown scenarios I would like to request from you. Number one, Damian Maya versus Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall might be a little bit young and lacking experience, but he's hungry. He's been training really, he's been doing some really crazy training with um, that kickboxing dude whose name I can't remember that Joe Rogan's friends with. I think it's Joe something, Joe Schilling. Um, and, and Mickey Gall's got pretty, pretty fucking good jujitsu for being a brown belt. The dude's pretty goddamn good. Um, and then also if you could break down Damian Maya versus Diego, the nightmare Sanchez, that would be fucking awesome. Thanks, homie. <laughs> First of all, I love Joe Schilling. Like he's a good follow on Instagram and he exposed the fucking there was that clip that came out a few years ago of this of this sort of like I don't know freckly faced white kid with like a short buzz cut that's almost almost like a flat top because he had a little bit of spiky hair on top that was like why don't people just be nice to each other and not hurt anybody he was like being bullied so a bunch of like like the Gracies like Kenner and Hero and, and um, Joe Schilling had reached out to be like you know I want to. Um, I want to help you out. Come train with me. I'll fly you out. You get to meet some some Belter fighters, some some UFC fighters, people I know, and uh, show you a good time and and you know, show you that the world is full of good people. And the fucking mom was like, uh, "That's fine. Just send money." And like sends a link to her, like GoFundMe or whatever. Like, like so exploiting that fucking thing. And uh, and Joe Schilling exposed the fuck out of her. Apparently, she was racist, and she was saying like these n words did this to my kid or whatever. But obviously, she didn't. She said the word. Like, what the fuck, dude? And then I remember at that time, Henry Gracie was like, he had made the post before that came out, and then he edited it. And he was like, it's come out that the mom may be a bit of a bad person. We can help her, too, or something like that, which I thought was so such a Henry Gracie thing to do. Uh, I wish everyone, and I, I, I saw this to say, like, I love Joe Schilling, but I wish everyone would call him that kickboxer dude that Joe Rogan is friends with. <laughs> That, that would be just funny. Like, oh, Mickey Gall, yeah, he's been training with that kickboxer dude that uh, Joe Rogan is friends with. Um, first of all, Damian Maya versus Mickey Gall. Damian Maya would play with him. I mean, really. I, I think, be, be, you know, regardless of what happened, and everyone's ready to like write Ben Askren off as being like a never was, you know, basically. But I think the the transitions and stuff he showed in that uh, so that he can at least hang with, with Damian Maya a little bit. And I think if Mickey Gall were in those scenarios, he would get fucking folded up like a pretzel. And um, that's my opinion. Not to not to throw any shade unnecessarily. But, um, you know, Mickey Gall's last fight as well, um, it was showing kind of sloppy striking. Um, and um, I don't know if he didn't want to get to the floor or he couldn't. There, were, there weren't that many ground exchanges in that fight. But Damian Maya has just as good a stand-up as the guy Mickey Gall was fighting, in my opinion. Um, but can also get him to the ground. And uh, I think Mickey Gall's like arrogance would like welcome that, sort of. He'd be like, yeah, I can hang. Let's see. And then he would probably get um, slept, like choked the fuck out. Um, I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because I'm sounding disrespectful as fuck. But um, 
Yeah, that's what I think about Mickey Gall versus Damian Maya. Now, Damian Maya versus Diego Sanchez is a little bit more interesting in my opinion, and um, mostly for the fact that Damian Maya isn't that hard of a puncher, despite having, you know, like I said, decent striking, at least enough to, like, get his game going. And uh, Diego Sanchez certainly has an advantage on the striking, but he's no slouch on the ground. I think the biggest threat that Diego faces now is anyone that can hit hard. Um, and probably a better, like, wrestler, like Michael Michael Chiesa um, outgrappled him. But that was also with the fucking weird-ass shaman in his corner, dude, that was saying, crack the coconut. And then Diego Sanchez tried to check Michael Chiesa's oil. Ugh. I still don't know what to feel about that fight, dude. I still don't know. I still sometimes think about it and laugh when I think about Diego Sanchez's interview during Fight Week with Ariel Hawani when he was like, people are trying to put me in a box. And he pulls out a fucking little-ass box out of his pocket. How Ariel didn't didn't break during that interview, I will never know because I would have laughed and said, I'm sorry, cut. We're done here. Seek help. <laughs> Let's call the medical team. Like, I just, oh my God, dude. And he was like, I beat Mickey Gal. Kept calling him Mickey Gal. Oh, man. You know what I think? I think Damien, now that I've seen Damien Maya versus Ben Askren, I think Damien Maya can definitely handle Diego Sanchez, but now I'm kind of interested in it. Um, I don't know that it's the fight that should happen. Um, I've been calling for Diego Sanchez to retire for a minute. And um, Damian Maya only has a few fights left. I think he said he has a couple fights on his deal and he just wants to fight it out. He's not wanting to seek free agency. He's not wanting to um, re-sign. He just wants to um, fight out his deal and retire with the UFC, which I think is pretty cool. And um, he has an opportunity to at least tie or break Cowboy's record, depending on how successful Cowboy can be while Damian Maya is still fighting. Um which is kind of interesting. And, um, yeah. So, like, I, I don't know if that's a fight that I, I'm calling for, but I wouldn't mind it. Like I said, if you're, if Damian, if Diego Sanchez is going to fight, he needs to be fighting someone like a Damian Maya um, who's not going to really give him much problems on the feet because uh, Diego Sanchez has been knocked the fuck out way too many times, and it's so sad. Like, actually sad. Like when Matt Brown fucking folded him like a lawn chair with that elbow. Oh, my God. And then Ally Quinta with the fucking overhand from hell. Nope. No more. Jimmy, I do, big guy. I have a quick question. What do you feel of the uh, early start times of these UFC cards? I kind of like it because I'm always up at 5 o'clock anyways. I noticed that Twitter was damn quiet this morning. Well, that's really all I got for you. I get my sorry ass back to work. Hashtag fuck Pam. Jim Asun is a fucking legend. Uh, I love that he was going to see Impact Wrestling with Ken Shamrock. That was fucking great to me. Um, I think I said at the top, my opinion is that I like early, but not this fucking early, goddammit. Especially if I was on the West Coast. I would be like, fuck you guys. I'm going to bed. And um, the the new era doesn't make it easy to, like, watch fights. Like, I remember when cards were on Fight Pass um, 100%, like a card like this would have been, like, all Fight Pass. They finally figured out 
towards the end of the run there to be like, hey, you can actually start anytime you want, even when it's a live event. So um, even though the event started at 5 and you woke up at 7 like a normal person, start watching from the beginning at 7. And that way you can watch the fights. Like, that needs to happen because then I would have... Um, I don't know. Now, looking back on it, to be honest, I turned into just the right time when I woke up because I woke up during the Pavlovich post-fight interview and then just kept watching from there. And from there, they were pretty good. And then I was like... Gotta rewatch those prelims just to make sure no one on, on the forums gonna talk about it. And they were garbage. Same for the like I said, the Luke Boomy fight was pretty good. Um, yeah, that's how I feel, Jim. Start them a little bit later. Start them just a little bit later. Even the fucking Irish were were not like an Eamon. Eamon was like, uh, I don't like these fight cards. I prefer a three a.m. time. <laughs> that was so funny. If you guys don't follow, I think it's Team Flemo 2 on Twitter, like the number 2. It's Eamon. Oh, my God, that guy's so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, Juice. It's E from Latby coming in with a quick question. On Nate Diaz, he was just flagged by USADA. He's coming out and saying it's a tainted supplement. USADA clearing him within 24 hours. If this were Neil Magny or Tom Lawler... He would have been suspended for over a year, but you know preferential treatment usually comes through in the UFC. Either way, get into the Fight Picks Championship. We're finally heating up. We heard you guys talking last week. We're finally turning it on. My girl, Chaney, coming in with the hot picks. You know me. I like to hang out in the middle, watch things as they go down, but we're just clapping back. Let me... Uh, dude, I love it. I, I want to hear how that guy orders his food at Chipotle because he always has that same energy on the podcast and everything I've ever heard this guy. I want him to be like, give me a bowl, black beans, brown rice, throw the barbacoa, guac on the side. I'm going to pay for it. What's up? Like, I feel like that's exactly how that goes down. Bro, this fight pick championship is heating up. First, I was doing like mediocre. No, not even that. There's like eight or nine people now. I started at number three. And then I was at four. And then I was at one. And I think they're still tallying it, so I don't know where I stand this week. But I did not do too well, as you know. I think I only got, like, ten points. Fucking hell, dude. But, yeah, uh, Lat B is uh, heating up. That's That was E. Um, and then the, I think it's – well, I don't want to he, – he didn't want to say his name. I won't say his name. But the other uh, half of Lat B is uh, Cheney. She's doing well. And um, – they're all about the shit talk. I love it. Um, if you, especially if you guys like, um, like talking about betting lines. You guys know me. I'm I'm very much against it for my own life. But you know, do you? You know, put money on it if you want. And um, they talk about betting lines on their show. Like, like that's actually a main part of their show. Um, so they they talk about the different lines and where where you should put your put your bets kind of strategically. It's a good show. Uh, as far as the ideas thing, I, it's been beaten to death a little bit already in this episode. But the t- I didn't think about this when you talked about the taint supplement thing. I feel like Nate didn't exactly say that because he doesn't even really take a lot of supplements. Like he has his own CBD. I feel like he takes his that. And then he gets his other stuff from nutrition. Like that was what was the most mind-boggling thing about it. And I think they were just saying like, no, you guys fucked up on your test. I didn't take anything. Fuck you. That's why he doesn't like – like sometimes I feel like when people cry tainted supplement right away, they – there was something fishy there. Like, oh, tainted supplement, tainted supplement. Like, what the fuck? Like, no. I feel like USADA was saying that, oh, it must have been a tainted supplement. I don't know. I also think, like, going back to, I don't think I talked about this when I was answering Phil's question, and, and 
uh, just thinking about it now, answering E's question, um, the the swiftness of the um, overturning, if you will, I think was also due to the um, the uh, um, I'm brain, having a brain fart here. The the level of urgency being so close to a big, big pay-per-view that is one of the most stacked cards of the year at the most expensive arena in the world um, with the most expensive commission in the world. Um, cards in New York are the most expensive for the UFC because there has to be a, a $1 million insurance policy for every fighter on the card. It's insane uh, because of the, the head trauma stuff that happened in 2013 with um, some few, few boxers. So there's just it's, it's impossible to, to regulate a fight in New York unless you have uh, tons of fucking money. And so that's why only the big promotions are doing it now that it's legal. And so I think like it was just too much for them to just throw away. And they're like, no, no we got to fucking expedite this. Whatever you do, uh, you saw it to fucking test the B sample, the B sample, the C sample, the D sample. I don't give a fuck. I think the UFC was definitely expediting that. And, um, you know, just like they kind of moved the whole card for John Jones. Um, I think if this was like, because you saw the violations can happen anytime, right? Like if this had happened, let's say post fight or, um, uh, you know, out of competition, you know, he didn't have a fight booked. This wouldn't have been overturned that quickly, I feel like. I feel like him putting out the statement, him saying, clear my name or I'll get off your fucking show and I don't give a shit, I think that expedited it for sure. Um, so it was a bit, you know, due to Nate Diaz's star power, but also the urgency of the situation being that it's the headliner of the most expensive card of the year, probably. And if not the most, then the second most. All right, Juice, mate. It's me from over the sea. It's your boy, Blog 74 Love the podcast and love your stat last week saying 42 countries listen to you. Fan dabby dozy that. Anyway, question about Ben Askren. Where does he go now after that shite performance today? I've just looked at top 15 and I can't see him beating anybody if he fought any of them top 15 now. Personally, I think he should retire. Because I've never seen him fight before, before at UFC. And since he's come UFC, I think he's been shocking. Second question, if you had the choice, would you fight Ben Askren? This is a stand-up only. Or CM Punk? Quick shout-out to Raising Sweet Potato. Top man. Sorry about last week, mate. Laters. Love it. Yes, definitely shout to Raging Sweet Potato coming later on in the show. A um, couple things. Thank you for um, mentioning that stat. Um, I think it's really cool whenever I look at those, and it's and it's interesting too. Like, it's it saves the 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 data from like any listen ever, right? So if any if anyone from another country has listened to my show even once, it stays on there. It'll just fall down in the list. Um, so it's not like the, these are like regular listeners, right? Like I'm not saying like oh wow, you know, because the mathematically it's not possible, but like. You look at it, it's weird. It's like 78% US, 5% Australia, and then like UK and Canada are tied at 3%, I realize. And I was just looking at Australia. The fucking Aussie invasion, as we talked about before, is, is real, dude. There's so many like different cities in Oz that listen to my show, and you guys are the fucking tits. I love every single one of you. Um, there's even, dude, there's people in 
Bangladesh that listen to my show. And I think I know who it is. I see, I see you on Twitter. Um, I don't see you tweet a lot, but you like my stuff, and thank you. Um, shout out to Bangladesh. But, dude, okay, Askren, where does he go? I was thinking about this, actually. And I, and I think I said earlier um, that we were going to talk about it. So after the Robbie Lawler fight, I wasn't one of those people screaming like, you need to do the immediate rematch. You need to run it back right now for my boy Robbie. We, we need to right this wrong. I wasn't one of those guys. But now I'm kind of thinking it makes the most sense now of anything, right? Because it, I haven't heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone has stepped up uh, to replace Ponzinibbio for, uh, to, to fight Robbie Lawler, which was scheduled, I think, for UFC 245. And who better than our boy Ben Askren after he's been choked out, you know, especially like the whole thing was like, was uh, Robbie really out? Well, now we know Ben Askren was out and he did tap as well. So now that he doesn't really have the leverage and Robbie needs an opponent, I'm sure he'd love to get that one back. Put Askren in there, dude. And that's the only way Askren can clear his name, if, if I'm honest. It's the perfect storyline. Because if, if Askren beats him clean for this for the second time, I'm not saying the first was clean, I'm saying if he gets it clean in, in the second fight, then he can kind of start to rewrite his narrative. But if and then if he loses, that's fucking that's a wrap on Ben Askren. And then, then Robbie gets a little bit of shine as well. So it's it's perfect. Um, now now is the perfect time to to run that Robbie Lawler fight back. And I can't really think of anything else because, as you said, looking at the top fifteen, it's not really it's not really happening. Um, unless maybe he gets the winner of uh, Luke and and Wonder Boy. Not that he can beat them, but I'm sure he'd like to think he would, and that might be a fun fight to watch. Um, so yeah, actually he could be Wonder Boy. Let's be fair. Um, Matt Brown beat Wonder Boy by just sort of like walking him down and just fucking being aggressive with the takedowns. And when you have someone who's the caliber of wrestling that Bannerskin is being aggressive with the takedowns, um, something, it'll be a little bit different. And um, Rufus is, Duke Rufus is coaching against Wonder Boy so many fucking times. So yeah. Either that or Wonder Boy. Lawler or Wonder Boy. Oh, and then the second part of your question, would I rather fight Ben Askren or CM Punk and stand-up only? Well, stand-up only, uh, Ben Askren. Because, uh, first of all, I think Punk is a little bigger, and I feel like he worked his stand-up way more than Ben Askren did. I, I think, honestly, I think CM Punk is still in the gym. I think he's he, he trains still um, because he just enjoys it. He likes being part of the team. The, the, all the Rufus Sport guys like Pettis and Woodley, they always say, like, he's in there you know, from from the morning until the night like he's in the gym a lot you know so um definitely striking only i'll take ben askren any fucking i'll take ben askren right now in a stand-up only match are you kidding me um yeah that's it bro that's it yo 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 that's cracking juice it's roni nose blow here as uh you and i discussed earlier today unable to watch the fights probably won't be able to watch him later maybe tomorrow but you know why had a big old ride today to save them titties boy some breast cancer support it's a beautiful turnout we probably had about 150 to 200 bikes out riding around in the beautiful myrtle beach area anyway all that i want out of you from this one it's a big old fuck cancer, boy. That's all. That's the message.
Hell yeah. Shout out to Soroni Noseblow. He was, uh, saw on his Snapchat, he was, um, at like, there was a big, like, ride for breast cancer support, raise awareness. It was like a bunch of motorcycle riders. Dude. Fuck cancer indeed. And I want to take this time to shout out someone else uh, that's been shouted on this podcast many times. You all know, it's Season Salt, Anthony Hernandez. He's a fucking inspiration to me, and I'm sure a lot of you others. He's, uh, he's fucking fighting the hell out of cancer, and um, he just got some bad news. So I want you right now to go to his page and find the GoFundMe and just take the two seconds it takes to get that going and give what, just whatever you can to help him and his family. Please fucking do it. Okay, I know I sound like I ask for a lot because I make trying to make sure everyone listens to the fucking podcast, but that's all I ask for is that. And now this is just do the GoFundMe and listen to my podcast. That's it. <laughs> oh. All right, he's got one more little quick shout out. It's cool. All right, man. I got uh, another one here for you. Uh, Going to continue what I started a while ago and haven't done for a couple of weeks. But uh, some positive shout-outs. This week's positive shout-out is going to go to the one and only Rage and Sweet Potato, eh? Uh, Dude, your messages are one of the highlights of this forum. I think a lot of people will agree with me. Especially the way that you end them with some uh, basic-ass Canadian stereotype. I love it, man. Another thing I enjoy is watching all the repurposing you do on Twitter. All the uh, handiwork you're capable of for Mrs. Sweet Potato. Keep that shit up, man. And uh, keep the good vibes coming, everyone. Catch y'all later. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, positivity. And hell yeah, shout out Rage Sweet Potato. Dude, if I if I one day move to Canada, I'm going to hire that dude to, to fucking make some bomb-ass furniture for my house. That I, I'm sure I won't have, actually. If I move to Canada, I'll probably be broke as fuck. But I will be enjoying some of that federally legalized cannabis. What up, Juice? Your boy Guy Shook. What a crazy-ass week it's been for MMA news, huh? By this point, I'm sure you've already covered all the crazy shit, so I'll ask a fun question. You're going into your first UFC fight. You can pick four fighters, any fighters to be in your corner. Who are you picking and why? Peace. Yes, I love this question. And you know, I got my four on lock. Number one, it's Roxanne. Roxanne Monteferi. Because it is so important to have that positivity and that fucking the positive attitude during fight week. You know, there's no way I'm losing if Roxy is my in my corner. And you can fucking take that to the bank. Number two, Bisping. He's been in more fights than most people in their fucking whole lives. And what well, is this? Their whole fucking lives and their whole lives. And is just like no bullshit attitude of like, like the way he talks about when he, I think when he cornered like uh, Luis J. Gomez for his fucking Ellis Mania fight or whatever. Just the, uh, um, like, no sugarcoating anything. Like, you're fucking losing this round. We need this round. You need to do this, this, and this. And he's fucking knows a lot about MMA. I mean, he's so knowledgeable. 
Number three, Damian Maya for the jiu-jitsu. Got to have that. And then um, Mike Perry. Just to, to fucking... Because first of all, having Roxanne, Bisping, and Damian Maya, and then Mike Perry just throws a whole fucking wrench in things. And Mike Perry, I feel like, also will get me jazzed up to be like, yeah, boy, yeah, smash him. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're a real fighter. This guy, like, just the fucking things that Mike Perry would say would just, like, get me fired up. Because um, I feel like I, got, I would have Bisping and Mike Perry to, like, give me, like, give it to me fucking straight. And then I would have Damien Maia be like, yeah, work the jiu-jitsu, sweep the leg, take the back, like whatever. And then Roxanne would be like, you just got to go out there and just be good. And I'd be like, yes, that's exactly what I need. Yes. But also Roxanne knows a lot about jiu-jitsu as well. So there we go, dude. That's it. I love it. Love that question. Shouts to Guy Shook. What's up, Fighting With Myself podcast? It's your boy. I say dude a lot. Uh, Uncle Dana looks like a genius, right? Trades Askren for Demetrius, and Demetrius is murdering people, and Ben's kind of washed out, thus propagating the notion that the UFC is obviously the best. Pretty slick. BMF belt coming up this weekend, and I got a question for you regarding that. What round does Nate knock out Hora in? <laughs> My stand showing. No. Thought about a question for you. It's this. You're in a public bathroom. You have to take the middle stall. Who are the two people that you want pooping next to you most in the world? What up, DM crew? Genghis, come home. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I want to talk about the um, first part of that question about the trade situation, how Ben Askren came over and we, and we sent Mighty Mouse to one. Um, I was I was actually reading, and I, I've had this thought, but haven't been able to articulate it in such a way. Um, but I was listening, not listening, I was reading the uh, little newsletter I get from uh, David McGrath at the Fook. Um, has a great um, column that I subscribe to. Um, you guys should go check him out. He's on Twitter. Search for David McGrath. I think it's Irish MMA 84, I want to say. I should I should have looked that up, so I apologize for not looking it up. But um, shouts to David McGrath. Anyway, I'm going to go on his show soon. And uh, he was saying that um, people are saying that, um, you know, Mighty Mouse going to one and Ben Askren coming over here uh, proves that the trade was bad. But... If you're, the whole knock on bed was that he was fighting lesser competition, so we can't celebrate Mighty Mouse getting wins over the quote lesser competition. It's flawed logic, and I thought about that. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Because it, for Dana, when you know whoever was involved in making the trade happen, it's, it was like a win-win situation. Because if if we bring over Ben Askren, he looks like a genius, and he's just cleaning house, right? Either way, he's he's got a following. He's a, he's a, he's a star. But if he loses, he gets to say, I was right, and uh, the UFC is the best. So it makes them look good either way. Bastion has been proving that the UFC has the tougher competition. Um, and, I don't, and I don't think that necessarily discredits any of Ben's wins, uh, because everyone, no one starts in the UFC, you know? Um, that's just what it is. I mean, Eddie Alvarez came over from Bellator and lost his first fight against Cowboy. So... Um, 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, Eddie, Eddie Alvarez went on to become champion, and he looks really good, and, and there's this whole thing. But um, I just want to kind of point to David McGrath. You should read it because it definitely was articulated better than I could articulate it. And uh, your stand is definitely showing. Um, I think this fight goes the distance regardless. Um, I don't think anyone is – well, that's not true. But uh, I don't think uh, – I, I would predict a finish not happening. I, I think we're going to get a war. Um, if anything, maybe a fucking doctor stoppage from all the fucking blood we're going to see from that scar tissue opening up. And now the question. This, um, I, it, I don't even, <laughs> he, he named his message a stinky situational. I mean, what is that? All right, dude. Who would I want most in the world to be next to me? I feel like I would want Chris D'Elia because he would be making some jokes or he would he would be adamant on telling people to shut the fuck up. Because here's the thing. It almost doesn't matter, my answer, because I'm a firm believer there is no talking in the men's room. This is not the women's room. You get in there and you shut the fuck up. I don't want to be washing my hands and some motherfucker comes up to me and says, oh, did you see the game? Fuck you. Stop talking. That's why if, if someone asks me a question or whatever, I'll just give a one-word answer and look straight ahead. I make no fucking eye contact. This is the men's room. There are rules, okay? Um, so I guess Chris because I feel like he would he would be in those rules as well. And if someone started talking, he'd be like, hey, shut the fuck up, and it would be funny to me. And then the other one would be Theo Vaughn, uh, because he would probably try and make some jokes. And their fucking banter is hilarious, because they're like good friends, but they always like to roast each other as if they fucking hate each other. Like Chris D'Elia made a joke one time about Theo Vaughn <laughs> takes a shower <laughs> at a car wash. One of those drive-up ones just walks in and is like, "Hey, brother!" <laughs> I can't even get through it without laughing. Um, so yeah, uh, check out Crystalia's podcast and Theo Vaughn's podcast because uh, they're funny as shit, dude. All right, here we go. What's going on, Juice? I'm not going to tell you who this is, so you'll have to guess. You got Oprah Winfrey and you got Martha Stewart in a catch weight bout. Who are you picking and how do they get it done? Secondly, what is your favorite female mixed martial arts bout of all time and who's your favorite female mixed martial artist of all time? Have a great day. Love it. Okay. First of all, um, when the questions get sent to me, I see the name, so I don't know if, I mean, I obviously can guess without, but um, the, there's, I, I already knew who I was playing when I first started playing. It's Kairos. Y'all know Kairos MMA on YouTube. He's the man making those fire promos. And uh, really the most intuitive, uh, intelligent submissions to Chael's podcast that I've ever heard on there. He plays some weird ones, but Kairos always has the best ones. And um, that's fucking awesome. Because until um, a week ago, Chael Sonnen was one of my favorites in the game. <sighs> Still don't know how to feel about that Greg Hardy nut riding, dude. Bro, okay, great question about Oprah versus Martha Stewart. And I feel like Oprah is the easy choice. But I disagree because as some of the great boxers have said, I feel like I've heard this quote from 
people have cited like three different boxers. They've cited Floyd Mayweather, they've cited Vander Holyfield, and I think fucking Sugar Ray Leonard or Sugar Ray Robinson or whatever the fuck. And they've said, oh, it's hard to get up out of bed when you're sleeping on silk sheets. Oprah's a billionaire. She doesn't need to be training for a fight. However, Martha Stewart's been to prison. Martha Stewart has been uh, bankrupt, I believe. She's been she's been at the rock bottom. She's had to claw her way back. Also, Martha Stewart has been willing to like go on different um, uh, like movies and play herself and be like self deprecating. Like she doesn't give a fuck. So I feel like that attitude is the right attitude to make. She also might be bigger than Oprah. I'm not sure, like size wise. Um, so I would say she gets it done. TKO in the second round. Or maybe in between rounds one and two, Oprah's um, Oprah's corner throws in the silk towel. <laughs> All right, Grant, <laughs> so fucking disrespectful. Um, the <laughs> the second question, uh, greatest female fight of all time. I have a couple, but I, I, if I had to pick one, it would be Misha Tate versus Holly Holm for the title. Like, I was in the bar watching the fight with my my good friend Leo and um, our our girlfriends and then um, our friend James who was visiting from the East Coast. And I was just, we were so on the edge of our seats. Like the, first of all, it was one of the most technical female fights I had seen to that point where I felt like they were at that time, the two, like the very best of, of women's MMA fighting each other um, to that point. You know, of course, Man Nunez then starched Misha and then became now she's you know, the goat of women's MMA and that that's like not even a, a argument, um, but like at that time they were like the fucking pinnacle. And when Misha almost finished her in the second round and then Holly was on her bike for the rounds three and four and then they were like basically in, in the last round they're like you got to risk it to get the biscuit you got to fucking go for this and Misha just went and choked her the fuck out Holly Holm didn't tap she went to sleep she punches the air such a like a iconic moment especially the fact that um that was 196 when when Nate beat Connor and then that's it. so you had the upset of Misha beating Holly and Holly not tapping and then you had Connor tapping in the second round everyone roasted him for that it was just that night was on fire that's one of the best female fights I've ever seen. Um, but you could you could do um, Joanna versus Andrade is another great one. I mean that's that's in my opinion Joanna's best performance. She was just like she was like water that night. Like Andrade was coming forward and and Joanna was fucking peppering her with the jab and circling out and just Andrade got nothing off, dude. Oh my god, that's that's one of my favorite um, Joanna performances. Um. But also, also do Rose Joanna too is another one of the great ones, um, especially given how how the first one played out. It's craziness. But um, and then and then the last question about um, who's my favorite female mixed martial artist of all time? You guys know my favorite fighter, period, of any gender is Roxy. I mean, that's hands down. That's it. So I feel like I have to pick that. But if if we're talking about if we're separating them and we're not going to count that, like another favorite would be Rose for sure, which I just mentioned. But my my current favorite right now, the to watch, and like I will always tune in for her fights. Meatball fucking Molly, dude. I've said it before. If you don't like Meatball Molly, you probably listen to mumble rap, and that's not even a debate. Great question, Kairos, the man. Oh man, juice. I should have heard the voicemail I left before this one, but I fucked it up. 
you know, I'm really, like super fucking high. <clears throat> so, um, my question is, what's the best Bellator fight ever up to this point and why? Um, I don't have anything to say to make this one funny. I just want to know your opinion. Uh, thanks, man. Keep up the good work. Awesome question. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to give two. Um, so, well, technically three. So I think um, Chandler versus Alvarez, both their fights, uh, particularly the second one, th- that those are like the best, some of the best fights of all time. Um, again, right up there in that list that includes um, Zombie and Leonard Garcia. Um, just, just insane. But then I also, I, so I attended Bellator 170 live at the forum in California and uh, basically LA, but let's say Inglewood for the purposes of being correct. Um, little known fight in that card, not little known, but um, not, not people are talking about this. Derek Campos versus Derek Anderson, I believe. It was like the Battle of the Derricks. So good. That was that was an amazing. I was only a three round fight, and that was a crazy fight card because you had that, and then I think right after it was fucking Holic Gracie versus Kato, and it was the worst fight of all time, right up there with Luis Ngano. Just absolutely nuts. Just like what you you had this knockdown Dragon Ball fight, and that was crazy. I was following the build up for that. I remember um, they did it a catch weight of one sixty because it was supposed to be one fifty five, and I think Anderson or whatever the other Derek was, he was not going to make weight, and so Derek Campos was like, "Fuck it, let's do a catch weight. I want you to be hydrated to get this ass whooping." And they just went to war, and Campos came out on top. That was such an amazing fight. And then so you had that, and then right after was a fucking literal sleeper fight, like not the ones where like, "Oh, don't sleep on this. That's a sleeper fight." You know, that's going to be an amazing fight. Now, this is a sleeper, as in I was fucking asleep. And it was so weird because they were just so tentative the entire fight. And then at the last 30 seconds, something snapped in Hollick's brain. And then he was able to get a takedown. and Or I think he got taken down, actually, or somehow ended up on the bottom. Passed his guards, swept them. And then Kato just held on for dear life in the last 30 seconds. It was so crazy. Yeah. So Derek Derek Campos versus Derek Anderson, I think, and then um, Alvarez versus Chandler, both fights. Those are the best fights in Bellator history, in my opinion. I mean, the Lima the Lima McDonald fights are amazing too. That first one was nuts, and um, but you know, I don't want to. It feels like such so, such a recency bias thing to say that because it just happened last night, the the second fight. All right, here we go, last one. Well, second to last. <laughs> Juicy, it's Laura again. Um, Douglas Lima is now the welterweight champ for Belgium. How long is it going to take before Douglas Lima gets to the UFC? That is my question. I thought she didn't even finish the word Bellator. I was like, almost like didn't even remember what the name was. Like, oh, for Bellator. How long is it going to be? I love that. Great question. Um, Douglas Lima is one of the most underrated fighters probably ever because he's been just a straight killer for years and is only like now getting his due. And I feel like he's getting his due amongst the hardcore fans, but casual fans don't know who the fuck he is. And I don't think that's enough for him to to be brought into the UFC. He's also treated very well. Like they know that. Like him and Michael Chandler could 
could go in the UFC and probably wreck shop, but they know they're kind of the faces of Bellator since they've been there from the beginning, um, and they, Bellator wants to treat them very well. They're paid handsomely. And so I just don't think it's enough for them to take a pay cut to try and be considered the best in the world. You know what I mean? Um, Douglas Lima, if, if he goes to the UFC, could easily contend for the belt within three or four fights. You know, that that's how good he is. He could have a similar path to Eddie Alvarez where he just like, okay, if I take out number five, number three, number one, I get a title shot. Like Eddie Alvarez had like a very clear idea of what he needed to do and he did it and got the, ended up getting the belt. Like I feel like Lima could do a similar thing. Now, I don't know if he beats, like if Kamaru Usman is still the champion, um, I don't know if Lima would beat him, but it would certainly be a fun-ass fight that I would love to see. So... um I would predict that he doesn't go into the UFC because he's just it's just been so long. Like he's not like washed up by any means. Obviously he just won a belt, but um who knows how many years of his prime he has left. Like he's just been fighting so long. So I don't know if he's gonna finish out his his fighting career in Bellator or if he does go to the UFC. And that could be another situation where um him and his brother would prefer to be in different organizations, um, uh, so they don't have to fight on the same card, if that makes sense. So um I don't know, but great question because I would love to see it happen, but I don't know if it will. All right, here we go. Last one from a man, Rage and Sweet Potato. Hey there, Juice. It's the Rage and Sweet Potato, all the way from the Northern Wilds of Canada. Uh, I got a question for you, if you don't mind me asking. Yesterday morning, we saw Cyril Gann put on one hell of an impressive performance against Dontel Mays, finishing him in the third round with a heel hook. Gann looked seriously impressive with the striking and clinch work and showed massive improvement since his UFC debut in August. Gann is a teammate and training partner of Francis Ngannou, who many regard as the heir to the parent of the heavyweight division. During Ngannou's rise to stardom and subsequent title shot, many people, myself included, felt that he was being rushed to the top of the division due to his style relying almost completely on his punching power, with no cardio and very little grappling skills. Now, we all know how his first title shot went, with Stipe using movement and wrestling to negate Ngannou's power and grind out the win. Often in this sport, fighters who are still learning and evolving are fast-tracked into a title shot long before they're ready, due to a lack of competition for the champion. This tends to create a dual-edged sword. If they lose, they, quote, weren't ready for the elite of the division, i.e. Darren Till, and if they win, quote, they had the easy path to the top, i.e. Israel Adesanya. So my question is this, how many fights should a new contender have in the UFC before receiving a title shot? And how many of them should be against the top 10 of the division? Hope, gotta run, need to go trade some beaver pelts for British gold. <laughs> I love that. It's like out of uh, stereotypes that everyone knows, has to like dig deep into the fucking bowels of history. Uh, this is such an interesting question. And my answer would be, I don't know. But... To, to start, I'd like to do away with the rankings because it gives people reason to, to not turn down fights or to, to turn down fights. And, and since the rating like rankings exist, I, like most of you, agree that the rankings are bullshit and that they don't really mean anything and the UFC can tweak them how they see fit to um, make certain matchups. However, since they do exist, I'm one of the people that somewhat stand behind them in the sense that like, like if, if, if a fighter I like doesn't want to take a fight with someone low in rank, then I was like, yeah, why would they take that fight? It does nothing for him. And then the people that want the other guy, they're like, oh, come on, dude, you know the rank is bullshit. Yeah, but they fucking exist, so shut your fat mouth. Um, and that's what what uh, I feel about that. But however, I'm uh, a proponent that we should do away with the rankings because 
it doesn't even, you know, there's no validity and it can ruin uh, a guy's career basically by by saying that he didn't he didn't fight anyone in the top 10 or that he didn't whatever like if you take those out that then values everybody you know in a certain way um now the usc should have their own internal ranking that they don't share with anybody so that they know what's real and what's what and um then they can make the the matchups they really want and that would make sense but as far as like a path to the to the title like it, it, it's hard because, you know, when someone gets a title off a, a one-fight win streak, you know, they always have to say, well, they well, won five of the last six or something like that, you know, but they're on a one-fight win streak. Like, things like that sometimes bother me, but it also depends on what those other fights were and what the loss was. Like, if it was a high-profile loss against a tough guy, then I'm like, okay, well, you just get one more and you're right back in the picture, or one or two, depending. But um, a new prospect like that, you know, in my mind, Cyril Gann needs the slow push. Um, he needs to get to be at least 10 and 0, um, which at this point would be five more fights um, before he is even sniffing a title shot. And there's plenty of cans in, in the heavyweight division for him to run through. Now, the heavyweight division is one of the most shallow divisions in the UFC. So outside of that, you know, once he gets past those cans, he'll be dealing with straight killers, um, or at least people that can knock him the fuck out. But um, he's got the stand-up to contend with those guys, I would say. Uh, he's also big as hell. Um, I would love to see what a, what a sparring um, session between him and Francis Ngannou is like. Holy shit, dude. Like, what the fuck? That must, that must register on the Richter scale. Yeah. To answer your question, there is no answer. Because we have rankings. And they can do whatever they want with those rankings. But as far as a new prospect, like I said, I'd like to see him get at least five more before we even talk about a title shot. Especially because he's so new in his career as far as his record in MMA. You know, he's a young guy. Give him the slow push. He doesn't need it. All right, we've got a few other questions here. This is a DM I got from Guy Shook earlier in the week. I wanted to highlight this. This is a good question. Um... He says, a friend of mine and I were having a discussion about old UFC fighters like Tito and Chuck compared to the fighters today. And the question came up, has USADA and the USADA era changed the way we look at a fighter's legacy? And I think the answer is unequivocally yes, absolutely. Um, Because since Anderson Silva tests positive, there are many people that don't consider him the GOAT. Um, Which I I think that that whole debate about like who's the GOAT and like, first of all, I hate the term GOAT. Say greatest of all time. Um, also, I, I just hate that it's it's not it's not a thing that's like a, has concrete like criteria or whatever. So it's all fucking subjective. So for someone to like argue like, well, that's not true. It's like, well, that's my opinion. So that's whatever. Um, but it's also some of these fighters do it to themselves by sticking around too long. Um, but I did like I said. Um, I think the USADA era has done in some ways more damage than good. Um, just because of how flawed the system is and how fucking ridiculous that list of banned substances is. Like, the the, the things that are on there just shouldn't be on there. So you really got to take it a case-by-case basis. And the fact that everyone can hang their hat on the tainted supplement thing has changed that. So it's like, is if you're one of those people that thinks like, 
um, if someone takes even a tan supplement, they're a fucking cheater, then like, oh, Sean O'Malley's fucked. But, you know, someone like Chell Sonnen, who's admitted to like taking everything under the sun, is now um, touted as like one of the best ever because he doesn't give a shit. Um, I don't know. It's hard. Not that Chell Sonnen's not um, crucified for, for having taken steroids. He definitely is. So I don't know. Great question. And I lied. There's actually one more voice question. Late submission. And uh, I'll just play because he's going to introduce himself. Yo, Juice, it's Wes from the Donkey Show. I wrote this song for you. No homo. I fucking love your podcast. I'm not trying to kiss your ass. Just saying I love your show. No homo. Maybe a little bit homo. I jerk off when I call into your show. Hey, Juice, speaking of jerking off, just a quick, deep question for you. Who is your MMA crush? And I don't mean that in a shallow way. I mean, when it comes to MMA fighters, who you want to fuck? Just curious. Well, gots to go. Peace, love, and unicorn farts. Homo! I just went through a huge roller coaster that was so amazing. The song... I love it. Then, uh, so jacking off. Love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm still processing this. Um, my MMA crush is George St. Pierre. Something about that man. Can't get enough. GSP. All the way, baby. Oh, man. Great question. You guys should check out the Donkey Show podcast. Those guys have a fucking wild ass time. They had Robin Black on their show recently. It was amazing. Robin Black is the shit. If you don't like Robin Black, put on a vest with pockets, lace up your hiking boots, grab a walking stick, fill up your canteen, grab some energy bars, check the weather, get a map, and take a fucking hike because Robin Black is the man. Um, and then they had a podcast with this comedian. That was that was really funny. Um, but dude. Um, Great question, and I gotta go GSP. You guys know that about me. It's GSP. All right, this next question comes from Justin Chilcott. Now, this was a um, quote tweeted from the forum, so I just want to say, uh, guys, and moving forward, if it's quote tweeted, I don't always see it. You gotta put it in the forum. Just reply below. Puts in the same place. That's the whole point of the forum. We're engaging with each other. That's why there's replies. It's all good. Some good things come out of that that I use for the show. Um, and he says, "What do you like about uh, the UFC?" Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this because I think he's maybe talking just MMA in general. And I'm gonna say this: like one of the things I love about MMA is it's so unpredictable. Is that anyone can win on any given night? I just actually jumped, quick plug, um, I took a break from recording my show to jump on the Combat Sports 101 podcast, love those guys, and um, we were given our picks for the entire card, which I almost never do, and um, we're just saying, um, uh, like, it, it's so, even though we we're both, we we're all, like, giving sort of, like, almost dead set answers, like, this is going to happen, you know, third round, stoppage, whatever, we're just like, then again, MMA is a sport where you're winning until you're not. You know, anything can happen, and it's so unpredictable. And that's what I love about it. You know, if, if I if I don't want something predictable, I would watch fucking basketball, okay, um, or boxing maybe. 
Um, but dude, uh, the other thing is that actually, uh, so funny. I asked this question to the split decision podcast a long time ago. Um, the fight geek had an answer that was almost actually both of them did Phil and the fight geek, because I think Phil was saying it's like a metaphor for life. And I, I'm like, yes, that's exactly like the whole f- like fucking human struggle. And actually shout out to my boy Genghis. Whenever I ask this question to anyone on Twitter, he always jumps in and says, the grittiness of man on man. It's a beautiful dance. I miss that guy so much. Um, but, um, and then fight geek said, it's like how it's like nationalistic and I love, I love that too. And I think he had a deeper answer as well. I just can't remember, but that's, that's my thing too, is that, um, there's like nationalism involved and it's so like primal, you know, but if we're talking the UFC as a brand these days, I'm not so high on the UFC with the decisions they're making, but they're still the premier organization. So it's kind of hard. <laughs> like, um, I hate the Reebok deal. Um, I hate the oversaturation. But I do love that they're they're bringing us the best fighters in the world, you know, every single week. So ultimately that one's out, right? All right, this question comes from Rambo. It says, hey, Juice Juice, not making fun of the disabled, but should half the punches Nick Newell throws with the disabled arm while he's on top of his opponent be considered a 12 to 6 elbow? It's a stupid rule in my opinion. And I'm not sure how to answer this, so I think it's it's hard because – you're asking if if the the punches he throws with his disabled arm should be considered twelve to six, but then he says it's a stupid rule. I agree, but I'm always one of those people that like I always say I was saying about the rankings before, like regardless if it's a stupid rule, it's a rule and you have to follow it. Like I think there's a um, case to be made for allowing fence grabbing sometimes in certain situations, um, or at least you know maybe doing away with the cage altogether. That, that's a whole other conversation. But um, the, the fact of the matter is a rule. And when fighters don't get called on it, the refs don't don't point it out or take a point, I get fucking infuriated because it's a goddamn rule and we have to follow them. Um, that said, I don't think those strikes are considered 12 six elbow. If nothing else, like he's not able to generate as much like force with them. Like the whole reason the 12 to six elbow was um, the rule was put in place was the people that were making the rules that didn't know much about um, martial arts and, and M- MMA, which was very new at that point. Where they were watching a lot of karate videos of people breaking bricks with the 12 to six elbow, and uh, they're just like, if that's the case, we can't have that shit. But the but the other strikes are a fucking um uh they, they do way more damage that are legal with other other strikes so it's just it's it's dumb but again we have to follow it now i don't think those are told to six because first of all it's just like <laughs> he can't the angles that he has to come at are, don't really it, it might be like what's off of those 11 and 5 or 1 and 7 depending um like I, I I don't think he's he's ever a true twelve to six, and if so, it, sh- it shouldn't be treated such. It, it's it's a weird situation where he's in his own uh, league in a sense that he's really the only one arm fighter that's fighting in MMA. Not that he should be treated differently, but there obviously has to be certain allowances made for him to be able to compete under a certain rule set. And um, one of those things, obviously, with his good arm, you can do a twelve to six, and he knows that. Nick is a very technically sound fighter, I think, uh, but. Um, this is a good question. It's an important question, you know, because um, Nigel does want to be treated like everyone else. But um, in, in terms of in terms of that, I don't I don't think it should be a twelve to six elbow. All right, we're moving on to the forum. This is my favorite part of Twitter is when I create a forum. 
I'm working on that train spotting speech, Jamie, I promise. A shape being Scottish. Well, the law is not the law. The scum of the fucking earth. See, I'm working on it, I promise. Um, all right, it's actually, <laughs> first question up is from MMA Central, uh, or Mental, um, Mental Central? Uh, uh, at Scotland underscore MMA says, I've been busy, but if I'm not too late, does Gan look like a future champion to you? And do you think uh, Zhang would beat uh, Yuan Yun Jacek, Weili Zhang, Zhang Weili? Um, here's the thing. I actually never, we had a lot of questions about Cyril Gan earlier. I had a lot of thoughts to share anyway. And I was, I never posed like case in point, like, do you think he's a future champion? Interestingly enough, the questions were about like his build and where they're going to go with him next. And given that, given what I, what I predict what ha- that they're going to do, um, I don't think he will be just because I think he might get pushed too early and then he's not going to be able to hang with the elite of the elite. But if they give him a slow build and he has time to develop, that's a fucking killer in the making. And um, I actually... Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time breaking down uh, Zhang Weili versus Yoni and Jacek if they make it, which I probably th- I think they probably will. Um, I got JJ so far, but um, if I if I go deeper, that could change. But um, early prediction, I got I got Yoana. Um, this question comes from Dean Robs. It's out Robs Dean it says the Usada and Nate Diaz saga this week. Talk about that and then thoughts and predictions for the upcoming event. Um, so I'm giving my predictions in, in the next segment, and then I did spend quite a bit of time uh, on the USADA situation with Nate Diaz. Um, I, will, I will add this. Um, it's, a, it's actually factoring into my pick. I'll do a little teaser for the next segment. I, that's the whole the thing that this went down, the fact that it went down, it's actually a little bit factoring in to my pick. And... Um, I could be crazy for for thinking that, um, but that's kind of where I stand at the moment. Uh, this next question is from Cerrone Noseblow. Um, I've just seen that he's changed his avi to him at the Breast Cancer Awareness Ride. That's fucking awesome. Um, he said, is Ben done in the UFC now? He's 1-2 with the one win being a controversy, though I agree with the stoppage after hearing Herb on JRE. Or does he get a lesser competitor since he's been going after Absolute Killer since he came over? Yeah, dude, I, I think, honestly, like, just because he's had such a long career in MMA, um, having so many fights before he even got to the UFC, and he's about four or five years too late of being in the UFC. I was, I was talking about this with Jeff The Essence on Combat Sports 101 just now, and um, I was saying, you, you know, Ben should have been in the UFC back in like 2013, and I agree. Um, that's when the time that he was supposed to come in, and if that was the case, um, the story might be differently just because he's a little bit past his prime, and he took a almost basically two-year layoff before getting back in MMA because he had retired a while ago and then um, because he didn't think the UFC would ever happen. And then when it did, he just sort of, you know, kind of came off the couch in a sense. So um, it, it sucks to say. I don't think he is done in the UFC, though, but he 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 kind of should retire. If, if I, and I, I still stand by this, what I said before, I think now more than ever is the time to do the Robbie Lawler rematch. Um, that that's the fight to make for Ben if if they do another one, but um, given the way everything's gone down, you know, with him in the UFC in the past, um, they can cut him after a loss. And if if they do cut him, I wouldn't be too surprised. All right, this is from Hectic One, Hectic underscore One, un, uh, best memes in the game. It says, would you rather have Muslim Salikov's spinning kicks and Ben Askren's boxing, or Michael Johnson's boxing and no cardio? Oh man, that's um, that's hard to say. I think I'm gonna have to go Muslim Salikov spinning kicks and Ben Askren's boxing, um, just for the simple fact 
that um, I'm taking Ben Askren's wrestling as well. I don't care if that wasn't part of it. And uh, I think that's a good, that's a decent fighter to have. Even Askren's boxing, but Muslim's spinning kicks and the wrestling, forget about it. Love it. Also, I'm, I'm, I, I doubled down on this when I was on the Comet Sports Podcast. I'm, I'm going to become the biggest Muslim Salikov mark you've ever seen. Um, that's my guy now. Fuck it. Um, this is from Darren Carson. That's at Bobby underscore Dazzler 68. He said, Stevie won that fight. Uh, seriously, Johnson is a talented guy. Just me or when Stevie took him down, he just seemed contented to defend. What's everyone's opinion? I personally feel... Um, Stevie didn't do enough with the takedowns, but um, that could be my bias showing. Uh, Stevie Ray never got over on me, and I like Scottish people a lot, and I, I like uh, people from the UK a lot, but Stevie Ray never got over with me. I think it was the whole Ross Pearson thing, like I said earlier. He said way too many times, like, not a lot of people would take that fate, especially coming off a loss. It's like, shut up, dude. Um, plus, um, he apparently had a beef with uh, my guy Paul Craig. That's my fucking guy. I don't give a fuck. And, uh, okay, this next question is from Lil Uzi Horizontal, a.k.a. Genghis Jr. at Uzi4Prez. Says, what do you think was running through Maze's mind when he looked up and seen Gan's junk resting on his forehead? Bite it to get him off. You? Oh, bite it to get him off you? I don't know. Um, I think it was like, dear God, don't let this man teabag me on national television. Don't let him teabag me. He was also close to getting finished at that point, so I don't think he was thinking about anything in that moment. I think he was like, dear God, let me just survive. Um, and then he also says, also I'm a big Pavlovich fan. I don't know why. What opponent next up the ladder gives him the best match? Um, interesting question because I <laughs> I don't know if it says this now. I'm too lazy to check. But uh, his bio used to say Survey, Sergei Spivak fan account. Uh, oh, it still does. Um, <laughs> that's funny. And uh, to me, they're on like the same wavelength. So fuck it. Take Sir, Sir, Sergei Spivak next for Pavlovich. And then his next question says, Last week on BYM, Bisping said in two years, there will be no Tyron, no Connor, no Jose, no Wonderboy. And he's probably right. Predict what you think the UFC will look like in two years. What fan favorites will be gone? Who will the champs be, etc.? I'm going to make a couple bold predictions here. I'm going to say this isn't really part of the question, but um, just in, it is kind of in, in terms of what the UFC will look like. I think the Reebok deal goes away. Um, whether that turns into another um, equipment sponsor like Nike or uh, someone else weaseling their way in there, uh, maybe Under Armour, but um, I, I predict that the Re- Reebok deal won't resign. They've, they've had a lot of bad press from it. And I don't think they're going to re-sign. And uh, as far as the fan favorites that'll be gone, um, fuck it. I'm going to say Mike Perry's going to be champion. I don't give a fuck. Mike Perry's going to be champion in two years, and um, um, he's going to knock out Colby Covington. So that's that's it. That that's all I can think of right now as far as future champs. I would have to do. I would have to spend a whole episode. And actually, I might do that. Um, I might spend uh, at least a segment of a, an, an episode on this because there's a couple weeks where there's no uh, UFC cards and uh, not a lot of combat sports going on that I uh, follow, I care about. So we might do that. I'll make another one, another bold prediction. Johnny Walker's going to be champion. How do you like that? How do you like that? Um, 
G from WoTV, that's at G from WoTV, says, bruh, I think we all need answers on this. What the hell is going on with Michael Johnson? Why do you think he's declining, and do you think he was robbed of a win against Stevie Ray at UFC Singapore? Thank you for this question, G. And man, I, I agree, we do need answers. Like, I don't think he was robbed, but like I said, I did have him winning. Um, but the fights that are that close, like I said, one, one judge had it a draw. Um is just um you can't call it a robbery but i was a, i was a little shocked i was now stevie ray had a big third round so i'm guessing whatever judge scored it a draw they probably did what i did which is gave michael the first two and they made it a 10-8 for stevie um in that third round which i don't actually have a problem with so i, I kind of agree with the draw now that i'm thinking about it from a mathematics standpoint um but um yeah, with Michael Johnson, it seems to be, I don't know if it's a mental thing. I mean, this is, you know, he was returning from 155 after spending some time at featherweight. So maybe just kind of getting get his legs again. I don't know, but he's he's had like some really high profile wins, but some losses to like bums, not, not bums, I don't wanna, especially don't want to call Stevie Ray a bum. Like, please don't come after me if you're a Stevie Ray fan, but just people that are like, like, I don't personally see Stevie Ray ever becoming a champion. But yet, uh, Michael Johnson has finished Dustin Poirier, who was an interim champion, and beat Tony Ferguson, who's an interim champion. Like, how how are you doing this? I don't know. But he beat the GOAT in Artem Lobov, so Michael Johnson really is the... He's the GOAT. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, we do need answers, and I don't have them, unfortunately, G. I'm sorry about it, but uh, thank you for the question. Um, Kenneth Robert at Mr. Underscore Tiddlewinks. It's been a while since he sent in a question for the podcast. I'm so glad. And it says, porn stars, are they the new crossover athletes? Which porn star would you like to see in the cage getting pounded next? Uh, I'm going to go uh, Lena Paul. Fuck it. And uh, he says, also, do you think Michael Johnson was ever a top-level fighter? Or did he just get a couple of lucky wins? I don't think it's fair to call him lucky. I think I just think he's he's a guy that I don't know if it's mental or there, there's some sort of hurdle where he can because he actually like on not necessarily on paper, but he could have beat Nate Diaz if, if all the stars aligned. But Nate Diaz was fucking with him. He was fucking with him on fight week. He fucking in the fight pointing at him. He grabbed the knee bar after the bell in like the second round or something like that. Or maybe it's the first round. Like he has the tools to be an elite fighter. He just doesn't always put everything together. And I, and I think he's going to be one of those guys that like I saw him corner. I want to say it was Desmond Green or... Maybe, maybe that's wrong. He was a cornerman. Somebody was someone that was training with Henry Hoof because that's his coach. And I think he's going to be an excellent cornerman because um, I think he 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 knows enough. His skills are good, and um, he just he just can't on fight night. He just isn't always there. That's my opinion. All right, this is from the Rage and Sweet Potato, all the way from the Northern Wilds of Kennedy. Uh, he says, it's at rage underscore potato underscore 902. says, if you could have any job in the UFC for one year, what would it be? Whose job would you take? Be Uncle Dana, Mick Maynard, Sean Shelby, Megan O'Levy, Laura Sanko, I'll kill you, or maybe Papa Ari. Which would interest Juice the most? All right. 
I'm actually going to highlight some replies from this because Joe Bloggs had said I'd take Herb Dean's and I said, I remind him that he's employed by the commission. And he goes, oh, can I work with Bisping? If so, I'll take Brendan Fitzy's job and not hide under the table. All right. I've actually thought about this because whilst we like to sit here and play armchair, you know, fill in the blank, like armchair matchmaker, armchair UFC president or whatever, I often think if suddenly thrust into those positions, we wouldn't always do make the right call, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I thought about, you know, certain things. I thought about if I wanted the matchmaker jobs. But the matchmakers, A, have to, I think they also have to sort of scout talent, which is uh, beast in its own right. And they have to negotiate contracts. I'm terrible at uh, negotiation. There's just a lot of things that go into play. And um, I, w- I would do a terrible job of that. I would do pretty good at commentary i feel and i and i feel that's because i'd be, I'd be more of a robin black style where it's just it, it's its own thing and it's not a cookie cutter with what you see uh with the other people but if i had the right guy like john anik to keep me uh, on my p's and q's i could add some really fucking cool shit to the broadcast however um my choice would be a pa now here's why you you get to just be at the events and maybe you're handling the ring girls, maybe you're getting people coffee, maybe you're telling people like telling what the fighters when they're on deck, you know, maybe you're just walking through the tunnel, making sure everything's going going well. That's a job I could do right now. That's a job I would fucking comfortably do, and I would just be like nerding out the whole time. I'd be such a fanboy, and I'd be fucking plugging the podcast all the time. I would be uh, getting uh, cool fighter interviews. Which I would say you could get in the other positions, but it's somewhat of a conflict of interest. I feel like if you're just a PA, the conflict of interest isn't really there. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would do. Like, I'm I'm steady on the fucking UFC's job posting to see if there's, like, something I could do on the low level that I could just weasel my way in. I'm steady on those postings. Actually, I've been slipping a little bit, and I'm going to go after this podcast. I'm going to go check to see if those positions are open. For sure going to do that. Uh, so that's my pick. That's an awesome question, man. All right, this next question is from Bearded Stoner at Bearded Stoner eighty eight. He said, "I personally loved Maya versus Askren. What's your thoughts on a best grappler title? Could could do no gi matches, open weight up to a forty pounds difference or something?" Here's the thing, dude. This is this is right. This question is highlighting the like negative. Um, repercussions of the bmf belt because it's kind of opening itself up to like other things like the best like grappler which is which that was um self-proclaimed by um askrin and a little bit by maya like this is to see who's the best grappler in mma and i think um if you're gonna do something like that it has to be like just like um this was or gaichi alvarez was where it's still an mma fight and this like like this is for supremacy of whatever little aspect and it's just kind of cute and and not really for an actual thing and it's not headlining pay-per-view like those kind of things of the open weight no game matches i i sort of wish the ufc would do like on an off week maybe they do a quick like one hour card sort of thrown together quickly of a grappling match or something or a straight kickboxing match like sort of like Bellator has a Bellator kickboxing and uh, I guess the UFC is trying to get into Zufa boxing which I'm not interested in but if they were to do um, Zufa kickboxing for example Zufa Muay Thai maybe on an off not not on the same fucking night dude like Bellator like get your shit together Um, on an off night 
um, like to sort of fill in those gaps throughout the year so we get our content. Dude, if you you say um, you're going to have Gilbert Burns versus Gunnar Nelson in a straight grappling match, I'll tune in. I'll turn the shit out of that. Or if you say you've got um, fucking Wonder Boy versus, um, I don't know, Nico Price as a fucking kickboxing only match, I'm turning in the shit out of that fight. So, so that would be fun if they did that. But as far as on the actual night of a card, I, w- I would be against it. Like as part of the main card or something. If it was like a separate thing of just like kind of fun fights like that or... Or just like, like I said, just like an hour filler on an off night. Um, I'm so into that. All right, I'm going to read this next question, but I'm conflicted about it. It says, still being a best bud. Love this account. It's very supportive. And it says, at being a best bud. It says, what round will Greg Hardy KO Volkov in? I disagree with you, sir. I disagree. Don't put that juju into the universe. I think Volkov is going to KO Greg Hardy. Actually, don't, but just for the purposes of this, I'm going to say that. I think Volkov wins, but I don't think he's going to put Greg Hardy away um, it's Jamie but without swearing at it's Jamie but nice just says no I only it's not a question at all or nor is it an opinion but I'm highlighting it because Jamie listens to the podcast if he gets mentioned um, and so um, I'm a, a listener whore I'm definitely getting his listen I don't give a fuck all right um, <laughs> this is next question is from at gods MMA the MMA gods so glad they're returning to the forum. You've been missed. Uh, love love your input. You're the man. Hope your brother's doing well. Shout out to your family. And it says, uh, How impressive is Gan? Has the body type of Anthony Joshua and the striking skills of an Overeem. Showed us he has skills with the late submission win. Hope they don't rush him too quickly, but how long before he's in the top 15? Hope he's in the main card of UFC Paris next year. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I hope they don't rush him too quickly. But as far as like how long until he's in the top 15... And when I say top 15, like, getting that number 15 spot, maybe 14. Like, if he just creeps in, just, like, by the end of 2020, I'll be happy. Because he will have had three other fights that are kind of, like, building him up. And then, depending on how he he does that, I would like, like I said, I, I would like to see him become, you know, be 10-0 before we even talk about any of those, like, top-level matchups. Um, and I say 10-0. Not necessarily predicting that he'll stay undefeated, but I'm saying, like, let, let's get the, let's get 10 wins. Okay, I'll say it that way, just because anything could happen a heavyweight. But let, let's get him. Let's get him to ten in the win column. I mean, so far it's just not like ten and six or something. Like, let's hope he doesn't fucking lose a bunch now that we're like telling him as a prospect. But I think if he can keep on this path, give him five more wins, and then and then let's talk about these um, more high level matchups. Um, this next question is from Joe Blogs at Joe Blogs seventy four says, what fight are you looking forward to outside the main event at uh, UFC 244? And then someone knows well responds with a gift that says, everything. Which I agree. Actually, um, I'm gonna in my next segment when I break down the card, I'm actually going to go through the whole card, which I haven't done since UFC 239. And I actually did that only because I got the request from Pixie to do um, a breakdown in rhyme. And it just worked to do the whole thing and it flowed very nicely. Uh, but I haven't been this excited for like every single fight on a card in for goddamn ever. And so we went through it on, this, on the Combat Sports 101 podcast. Um, I'm going to say if I had to pick one, like the fun I'm most excited about is definitely um, Corey Anderson versus... Um, uh, versus Johnny Walker. I actually was surprised when uh, I was doing my research and finding that that was on the prelims because I actually thought they were going to try and do Kevin Lee Gillespie on the prelims to kind of 
hide that fight a little just in case it goes badly for Kevin Lee, which it probably will. Um, and uh, they're hoping for something spectacular out of Johnny Walker. Uh, but maybe that's the thing. Maybe they're hiding that because uh, Corey, Corey Anderson's a tough out for him. I don't know, man, but that's that's the fight that I'm looking forward to most because it has a lot of like implications for that division, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun as hell. He also asks, who do you think Connor will fight in Vegas? Now, this is alluding to Connor's um, interview, um, saying that his next fight is going to be January in the T-Mobile Arena. I'm going to go on a limb and say he doesn't fight in Vegas. Something's going to happen. Um, I think we're getting honey-dicked here. Um, I, I don't think that fight materializes. How do you like that? But if you want an answer, I'll say Cowboy, because that's the most favorable matchup. But I think he was, this is interesting too, he's alluding to, in his interview, he was like, they're, they're a crafty company, the UFC. And, and if I say one name, they're going to change the other way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say anyone. I think he was alluding to the fact that if he was going to fucking say, I'm fighting Cowboy, they were going to switch it to Gaethje. So that's interesting to me. Um, but I was also talking, I've been talking about this a lot, I was trying not to fucking talk about it, but everyone like kept asking like, yeah, 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 that's fine. So who do you think he's fighting? And they just kept wanting to fucking talk about it. Um, I was talking to someone and I was saying that like, just for the fact that Ali seems to run the UFC uh, and Ali Abdelaziz is Justin Gaethje's manager, we might see that fight. Um, but um, fucking hell. Oh, huh. there was also a long-ass thread. This is the longest thread, like, sub-thread within the thread of, in, like, forum history. There was fucking 22 replies to this fucking thread between Derek Lewis's hot balls and Eamon, which I shouted earlier. And, um... Fucking hell, I can't even get to the fucking question because there's so many replies. Um, Eamon wanted to know what's everyone's motivation for being on Twitter and um god damn it it's like buried in the replies I can't even find it but it was saying he he just enjoys the crack um and just engaging with other fans and learning stuff because he's not a full MMA nerd which I thought was funny um for me I got on Twitter just for this podcast well I've been on I've been on Twitter for um like three plus years with my other account um, which before, when I started the podcast, barely cracked 200 followers. It was like, I wasn't even on because I wasn't really engaging with anybody. I was just following fighters that I, I wanted to follow and just sort of keep tabs. And I would tweet every now and then tweet about random things or like about MMA. Um, but when I really started joining MMA Twitter and just interacting with everybody, that's when I started, is when I did this podcast. Um, and so really I'm on Twitter for my podcast, but, um, you know, I would love to hear anyone else's response. Find that in the in the reply somewhere. It's buried in there. But uh, let's uh, do some engaging. Let's all reply to Amen. That would be fun as hell. And um, yeah, there we go. And then this last question is from Joe Block seventy four again. He says, "Quick one. Just seen Ty- Tyson Fury saying he's going to do MMA next year. Um, what do you think? Uh, and who would, could get the fight?" First of all, there's an account on here that's um, all about Tyson Fury, and they've been re- listening to the podcast recently, so shout out to you. I'm sure you'll be very excited that we're doing this question right now. They're from Scotland, and uh, they put out some great tweets. Um, I think it'll be like a one-off. I think it'll just be like against whoever the heavyweight champion is, probably, or or maybe like a fun matchup. Um 
like someone like Iganu or something, because uh, he fought Deontay Wilder, who was just fucking killing everybody. I don't think you'd be scared of someone like Ngannou. Um He's also big as fuck, and um, yeah, I think that will be fun. He probably he's probably gonna fight a striker. He's not gonna fight someone like. Um, I mean, by that time, DC's probably not going to be sticking around. He's going to retire. But um, they're going to fight someone like Curtis Blades, who just wants to take him down. Um, that's not going to be the fight. Um, and I and I'm I'm for as long as he doesn't come in and just sort of like, you know, because with with regards to holding up the division and when new people come in for like one off fights and stuff like that, or be like jump the line, it kind of fucks all the contenders. But there's never really been a clear-cut heavyweight contender, like, for, for the most part. It's just sort of, like, who's got a couple exciting wins in a row, you know what I mean? So um, I think they'll probably do that, and, and that's no problem to me because it would be fun as hell. And he brings – Tyson Fury just brings something special. Um, I love the guy. Um, you guys know that I I say online all the time I fucking hate boxing. <laughs> I said it on Combat Sports 101, and I felt like a complete asshole because I was, like, making a joke. And then he – they, like, took it serious, and I was like, oh, shit. Well, <laughs> I feel like a piece of shit. But – um I, I try not to like be too hard because if you know if that's your thing that's your thing and it's a it's a very integral part of MMA it's just one part of it. Um, but uh, I tune in for Tyson Fury uh, boxing matches because he's just uh, an enigma, something special. I love his whole um, persona and his um, he he's really an advocate for for mental health. Any any like high profile guy like that that really speaks up about it, I got immense amount of respect for. You know, so um, love Tyson Fury. And I love this forum. This has been a great forum. Um, thank you, everyone, for engaging. I don't know if uh, the, maybe some, somewhere down the line we might have to be selective because I've been getting a lot. Like the forums lately have been so deep. And uh, I love that. I love that. But we might have to have a limit eventually, and I don't know when that will be. So I just always like to say that just in case uh, someone gets um, upset that I don't use their question because so far I've been using all of them. Um, unless there has been something terrible. I think there's been like maybe two or three questions in the whole history of the show where I've like skipped out on. And one of them was an accident. I felt bad. And I did a whole addendum and uh, <laughs> I literally did like an extra 30 minute episode answering their questions and other questions. So um, I'm never, I'm never shy about answering all the questions, but uh, that day may, um, that day may come where I don't. All right. Uh, let's move on to the breakdown slash preview of UFC 244. And we're going to change up the name of this segment a little bit. I'm going to call it Head versus Heart because the whole life I've been doing this podcast, I let you know that I pick with my heart. And there were, there were some times when I would pick with my brain a little bit or it was like a little bit combination of both where they just happened to agree or um, I just like didn't know, you know, didn't have one investment of either guy one way or the other. So you only have to pick with your head at that point. Uh, you know, but um, lately I've been um, involved in the Fight Pick Championship with a couple of fellow podcasters and I've been really trying to fucking win. And I've been using my brain. And let me tell you, my heart was more right for these fucking fights in Singapore. So I'm going to fucking change this segment. I'm going to call it Head versus Heart. When I give my picks for these fights, I'm going to let you know what my heart's saying, who I want to win, and what my brain is saying, who I think will win. So we're going we're gonna to be giving everything on display here. And... Um, Without, without further ado, let's get into it. All right, UFC 244. It's going down Saturday, November 2nd at Madison Square Garden. And if you listen to this podcast uh, on a regular basis, you know that I think Madison Square Garden is a dump. I think it's overrated. I think it's uh, uh, 
they charge way too much for everything there. Um, not just the tickets, the fucking food. Everything is way too overpriced. Uh, the fucking seats are terrible. Um, also, it was burned by the um, the uh, human resources department there. And I don't give a fuck if that's uh, biased and salty. Um, fuck MSG. However, um, when you go there, you got to go big because it's the most expensive arena and New York is the most expensive commission. So you got to pack the car with the most fucking firefights. So every single fight in this card is amazing. And I'm so excited to, to break it down. Um, like I said, I'm going to go um, head versus heart. Um, but I'll save that for when I get to the main card. Uh, for now, I'm just going to go over some the, the prelims. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do every single fight because every single fight is amazing. But I won't necessarily do a head versus heart. Uh, pick um, but we're gonna go with uh, the first fight of the night is Lyman Good versus Chance Rencontre that's what it should be but he's from the Midwest so we say Rencounter um, but uh, the, the Chance is a stud um, he's a great wrestler he's had some good fights but Lyman Good man he's just a fucking beast and I think I think something about him like he's gonna put it all together um, I just have a feeling about that and I'll admit like that's that's sort of a head and heart thing I guess at the moment because um I was thinking about this, talking about this on the Combat Sports 101 podcast. Um, quick plug for those. Uh, look for that to come out. Probably by the time you finish listening to this, that'll be available. But um, Lyman Good, um, his last fight was, uh, or I don't know if it was his last fight, but a recent fight, he was uh, uh, fighting Damian Maya, got choked out from like a standing position. And of course, Damian Maya is Damian fucking Maya, and he can choke you out from anywhere. But something about that just it, it didn't like, I don't know. He looked like he kind of gave up a little bit, and to me that that kind of didn't sit well with me. But I feel like that's going to motivate him to fix those holes in his game, and he's going to come back a completely different fighter. And so I got I got him taking this one. And um, next next fight is uh, Caitlin Chukagin versus Jennifer Maia. Um, <laughs> I'll admit here that the reason I'm, I'm going to pick Jennifer Maia. And the reason why is because last fight she beat my girl, Roxanne Monteferi. And um, uh, whenever your favorite fighter loses, you want everyone that beats them to do well. So it looked like they only lost to like the, the best of the division. <laughs> and that's completely um, selfish and biased of me. And I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm willing to admit that. So um, I got Jennifer Maia for those reasons. But um, Kaylin Chukagin is very good, so I could see her pulling it off. But I got Jennifer. Next up, we got Jairzinho Rosenstreich taking on Andre Arlovsky. Now, I love Andre Arlovsky. Um, recently, he's pissed me off with being a Trump supporter. Uh, but his last fucking fight against Ben Rothwell was the shit. Um, that was a great fight. And it was like vintage Arlovsky. I was so fucking happy. And um, he's, a, he's a fighter I'll always root for. Um, so if I had to go head versus hard on this one, actually, hard is saying Andre. But head is saying Jarzinho. Did you see that fucking Alan Crowder knockout? He put him out with a jab, dude, in 11 seconds. Until I see anything else that makes me pick against him, I mean, depending on the matchup, I'm going Jarzinho to the fucking death dude uh, Dutch and Sur- Surinamese kickboxing beats Russian Sambo any day son I know Andres from Belarus don't don't correct me um, alright next up we got 
Edmund Shabazian taking on Brad Tavares. And this is a this is a great fight, in my opinion, in the middleweight division. Uh, it could be a showcase fight for Brad, or it could be a chance for Brad to 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 stop a hungry uh, star on the rise. Uh, I think Brad Tavares can beat anyone outside of the top 15 in middleweight. Not that he loses to the top 15, it's just that um, that's kind of where he's at right now at that point of his career. Uh, I think there are some favorable matches for him uh, the further you go up, but it just depends. And I think, you know, Brad um, is kind of backed into a corner here. And so the last time that happened, uh, he was um, he was facing Christoph Jocko, someone trying to get a name off of him, and he KO'd that motherfucker. Well, TKO, but he got a finish off, off of Kristoff. Uh, and so I kind of wonder if that same thing's going to happen. But ultimately, it's Shabazian. So if I go head versus heart, I'm going heart, Brad Tavares, head says Edmund Shabazian. But it's also kind of both head and heart because I, I like Edmund Shabazian a lot. And um, to me, it would just be fucking hilarious if because um, he trains at the Glendale Fighting Club. Um, Ronda Rousey is his manager, and um, so it's just it would just be funny if um, after everyone fucking shit on um, Coach Edmund Tavertian, um for like saying like had my mat, had my mat, and like giving Ronda fucking terrible coaching like in the in the between rounds of, against Holly Holm, and he's like perfect, we gotta ride where we want her. It's like what fucking fight are you watching, dude? But it would just be so fucking funny to me if this guy becomes a champion and Coach Edmund's like. You see, I got two champions now. Like that would just be amazing to me. But uh, next next fight we got um, Makwan Amirkhani versus Shane Burgos. Makwan, Mister Finland, and I like I like uh, Makwan, but uh, some of the things he says, some of his cockiness annoys the fuck out of me. But then I kind of like it. Like for me, like he's like that. He's like that guy that you want to see like lose, but when he wins, you're not mad. You're like. God, I want this motherfucker to get knocked up. But when he wins, you're like, damn right. Like, you kind of pretend like you were a fan the whole time. Like, hell yeah. But um, I got Shane Burgos on this one, I got to say, for a couple of reasons. So Shane only has one loss in his career. It's against Calvin Cater, um, who's an, a phenomenal boxer. And uh, Shane got kind of got lulled into a firefight there. And it was just a, a great moment for Calvin. But um, uh, Mach a lot of his success comes on the ground. And I feel like Shane... Um, is no slouch on the ground. Um, that armbar finish he got in a, in one of his recent fights was uh, impressive to me, and just just the scrambles leading up to it were were great. So I think he's going to be able to avoid the submissions of Makwan and probably finish him, if I'm honest. But um, Makwan's tough. I think it probably goes the distance. All right, next is Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker, and to me. Again, head versus heart. Heart says Johnny Walker. Head says Johnny Walker. Soul says Johnny Walker. I'm fucking drinking the Kool-Aid on this guy. I don't give a shit. And and Corey Anderson could well spoil the party. Um, but I give... We had actually... If you want to listen to um, a good breakdown of this fight, um, check out the... I keep plugging this, but check out the podcast I was just on with Combat Sports 101. We, the four of us, between, you know, Combat Sports 101 is a, is a, is a podcast hosted by two guys, Todd the Rhino and Jeff the Essence, and then uh, myself and Ashley from the MMA Nerd. We went on there, so the four of us gave our thoughts on this, and um, they made me actually do it in an Irish dialect, which I thought was amazing. And um, we gave a 
just a great breakdown of this fight. And then I feel like I see every time I think about it, I see, I see John, uh, Corey Anderson getting lulled into the standup. Um, or at least Johnny Walker being able to stuff the takedowns and getting like a, just like a spectacular knee or something. Like I just, I see that and I can't unsee it. And this is, that's, this is my most anticipated fight of the night. That's not the main event. Although to be honest, the whole main card is like I'm, ex- I'm so excited for the main card, and, like and the prelims. Like this is one of those fights. Like clear your fucking schedule, dude. Clear your fucking schedule. You have to watch this live. There's no um, ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, I'm gonna be probably high and maybe drunk also for these fights. I can't wait. Um, but let's move on to the main card, okay? I want to give my picks for for these main card fights, and it's 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 I'm so torn on um on some of them like to me some of them are like a coin flip and then others are like more clear uh, but then sometimes like when i think a fight is clear i end up being wrong and <laughs> you guys know me i don't give a fuck but the first fight of the main card is uh gregor gillespie versus kevin lee and for me this fight has a lot of question marks surrounding it because it's kevin lee's first time back at 155 since since moving to welterweight which I think he just had the RDA fight, so it's not like he really left, which is why he still stayed ranked, I believe. But um, it's still like he uh, he had said, like leading up to the RDA fight, he's like, no, I'm a welterweight now. And then even afterward, they said, oh, well, you lost, you're going to go back down. He's like, no, I'm 170 now. But then I think he just looked at the landscape of what fights were out there for him. And I think he decided, like, since they're not doing 165, like 155 is the best division for him to be in. And... That, to me, is just, like, I feel like Kevin Lee's brain is broken, dude. Like, he has all the skills to be um, elite of the elite contender, but sometimes he just doesn't put it all together. And I think part of what's missing is, like, like we don't talk about this enough. Like, um, he really had something special with um, Robert Follis being his coach. And um, since Robert Follis passed tragically, and I think about that sometimes as being one of the worst things to happen in MMA because I didn't know enough about Robert Follis before. And then afterward, just the outpouring of love from everyone in the community that was mad and how, how Chael, not, not mad, sad, sorry. And um, Chael shared some old stories from the Team Quest days. And it just made me realize that he really was um, a, a special kind of coach that we took for granted. And um, uh, Kevin Lee has had that missing in his life. And I hope that he's found it in Faraz. Because that's the other thing is like, is the move to TriStar going to be the right move? Or is it going to be like... I I think... I kind of think um, regardless of the result, um, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be too early to tell. Like even if he loses this fight... I think he should at least give it another go, depending on how he felt in the camp, depending on the vibe, you know, um, because I think him being like GSP is his favorite fighter, I believe. Um, he said that GSP motivated him to get into MMA. You know, he saw him fighting BJ Penn and he was like, man, that's, I can, I can do that. I want to do that. Like he was a wrestler in college. And I just think like, uh, or it might've been high school when the fight happened, but he was a wrestler anyway. He was training wrestling. And, um, you know, Kevin Lee is probably the first wrestler at least with the highest caliber of wrestling that gregor gillespie has faced you know gregor gillespie has been made he's been making it look easy against uh all of his competition thus far but i just think like 
Kevin Lee has a habit of not using his best tools when it's time. And, um, you know, Gregor's going to Gregor. And I think I want to say it's going to be like a late stoppage. He's going to drag him out. He's going to wear on him and then start to start to fucking just piece him up, whether that be a TKO or like a submission. Um, I could see either of those happening. All right, Derek Lewis versus Blagoy Ivanov. And uh, when we made our picks on the Combat Sports Podcast, I was the only one that picked Derek Lewis, dude. So I guess I, I gave that away. Oh, I forgot to say, um, I'm doing I'm doing head versus heart here on the on on that fight on Gregor versus Kevin. So my heart says Kevin Lee. I want Kevin Lee to win. I really do. I want him to get back to his, his ways. Um, I want him to fucking shut up all the doubters. I guess myself being one of them, but um, I, I, head says Gregor. So I'm, I'm still I'm picking Gregor, but I want you to know like my heart is with Kevin Lee. Uh, all right, Derek Lewis is versus Blagoy Ivanov. Heart says Derek Lewis. Head says Derek Lewis. Everything says Derek Lewis. Um, I love this guy. I will never pick against him unless he's fighting um, someone like DC. Although to be honest, if, if he works his way back to a title shot and Stipe still the champion, I would I'd probably still pick Stipe. Um, but just Derek Lewis possesses something that just he has. He has this like no quit mindset that um, you know Volkov beat the fuck out of him for three rounds and was able to evade him and kind of. Um, basically implement his game plan until Derek Lewis said, nah, not today. And just uncorked a bomb that put Volkov to sleep. And I think that could easily happen against Blagoy. Like every time I see this fight happening, I, th- I see Blagoy rushing him. I see trying to clinch. Derek Lewis is very strong in the clinch. And um, also if someone gets a takedown, he tends to just like lift them off of him and they'll just sort of like stand up, not use the best technique, but, that's not always needed in the heavyweight division. Uh, so I just I just think like he will find a way to win. Like Derek Lewis is going to get through this and he's either going to get the decision or he's going to fucking stop him late in the third round. So head says Derek Lewis, heart says Derek Lewis also. Um all right, this isn't this is a fight, this next fight, Vicente Luque versus Stephen Thompson. This is one where my head and my heart are a little conflicted. Because my heart wants Stephen Thompson to win. Um my friend Leo loves Wonder Boy. It's his favorite fighter. Um, even if he disagrees, I'm going to tell him that uh, Wonder Boy is his favorite fighter. He loves Wonder Boy. Um, maybe only Dan Hooker could could be number two, but uh, he, uh, he loves he loves Wonder Boy, and I love Wonder Boy too, man. Uh, I just think like if you if you don't watch like um, you should watch his um, Technique Tuesday videos that he does on his uh, YouTube channel. They're some of the best like MMA fighter like promoting themselves like videos I've seen. Because um, he also does like little vlogs or whatever where he'll like pick up the kids from the karate school in the fucking van or the bus or whatever that is. I love it. I love everything about it. I just, I can't help but smile whenever I, I see anything Stephen Thompson. And he's such a good guy and an elite fighter. Um, I thought he'd be Darren Till, at least point, point wise, when they fought. So, um, you know, to me, just the fact of the matter is like there's too many question marks surrounding him with the fact that he just got knocked out by Anthony Pettis. I don't know where his head's at. It seems to be in the right place, but come fight night, um, will he be reminded of that? I just like I don't know, you know, so from what I've seen, from what I'm looking at right now, Vicente Luque, and the reason why my head says Vicente Luque, that's my pick. I got Vicente Luque on this one. I think he he has a way of being technical in a brawl. He has a way of making it a brawl without throwing technique to the wind. And I think that's going to shine here. Um, I think he's going to be able to pressure Stephen Thompson and um, and not allow um, Stephen's footwork to kind of confuse him 
if I can say that. Um, I think he's going to be able to get it done. Probably a decision. I don't think uh, Steven gets finished again. I think he now he, he he's going to like at least evade enough and be more defensive because he's a very another technically sound fighter as well. All right, the co-main event. Kelvin Gastelum versus Darren Till. And I've been watching Darren Till's interviews that he's been doing. He had a great interview with Dan Hardy where it seemed like he was in the right mindset that I want to see from someone who I want to win. Um, that said, he's also looking jacked. And it makes me think like he's putting on extra weight to be able to contend with middleweights rather than just sort of like cutting less weight. And I think he's probably going to be cutting the same amount of weight. And so he might not have um, the the best cut as well. And um, something tells me so. Hart says Darren Till because I'm a I'm a I'm a big Darren Till fan. Uh, you guys know I'm an Anglophile. Um, I just love his fucking Scouse dialect. I love everything about it. The fucking Sweet Caroline walkout. Um, I don't care if you say Sweet Caroline is a terrible song. To me, it's a great song, and I love that um, he fucking. He's made a little bit too much part of his gimmick, though. Like, it was cool when he did it for the first Liverpool card and whatever. But then when he fought, um, I think it was when he fought Masvidal, um, they interviewed uh, him on the Wayne show. And they asked him his thoughts on the fight. He was like, I just want to hear one fucking thing. Sweet Catalan. And then, like, walked away. I was like, bro, that's your walkout song. Like, say something about the fight, dude. But um, I'll say this. Um, I made a bet. On on Twitter with um, with Darren Carson and um, Wheelins, and I said, if Darren Till beats Calvin Gastelum, I will call French fries chips for a whole month. Now, you guys know, like I said earlier, I'm an Anglophile. I grew up watching Monty Python. I grew up listening to British stand-up. I fucking like everything about Britain. Um, we're contemplating doing our honeymoon there. I fucking I can't wait to visit one day. And um, I've got a lot of friends there. Not a lot, but um, enough that I would want to visit. And plenty of you that listen to the podcast, some great supporters of the UK. And I fucking love everything about the the whole fucking culture. I love I love it. I can't I can't say that enough. But I will never, and I mean never call french fries chips so although my heart says darren till part of my heart says kelvin gastelum and my brain is also telling me kelvin gastelum and i gotta i gotta put that juju into the universe that kelvin gastelum is gonna win so i don't have to make good on that bet because i will make good on that bet but i do not want to so kelvin gastelum i think is gonna be darren till um and uh I don't even have a necessarily technical analysis for you. Um, I, I do think um, Kelvin uh, is a more proven commodity at 185. You know, he he's used to being in this weight class. They're actually both former welterweights, but um, Kelvin knows how to manage this weight now, and um, he he's going to be able to do kind of whatever he wants against Darren Till. Not whatever he wants. I shouldn't say that. Like, Darren Till is a very good fighter, um, but Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum can take him down. You know, he can submit him. He's knocked out some of the best at 185. Like Kevin Gaston's no fucking joke. And so that, for that reason, I got Kelvin Gaston. And then we come to the main event. I almost, no joke, I almost did this, but I thought it would be lame. And I actually, I should have done it because I didn't have to fucking tell anyone, but I almost literally wrote like Masvidal on one side of a coin or like a card or something and Diaz on the other and just like flipped it and just go with that because this, this, 
fight to me is such a toss-up. And, um, you know, actually, when I was recording the, the Combat Sports 101 podcast, um, Jeff the Essence had said something that um, made me more confident in my pick. And he was saying, like, you know, you look at Jorge Masvidal's losses, and they're, they're just filled with most, if not all, split decisions. And you look at Nate Diaz's record, and he's been he's been kind of fucked up sometimes, some of his losses. And I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, you're right, dude. And to me, I, I kind of was like, I kind of was just going with my gut instinct with Jorge, and then I started to think about the fight. I was like, well, you know, Nate Diaz has, um, has uh, um, before he fought Conor, he was like two and two at 170. Like he had actually tried it before. And the only reason he fought Connor 170, the first time was late notice. And then the second time it was because they wanted to write the wrong in the same weight class. So he's not like to me, like Jorge Masvidal has like the same thing. What I said about Calvin Gastelum, like Jorge Masvidal has proven himself at 170 more. Um, and I know this is like MMA math that, that almost never works out, but you know, Jorge Masvidal fucked Cowboy Cerrone up, dude. And Nate Diaz fucked him up as well, but didn't finish him. So the fact that Jorge Masvidal knocked him out twice uh, makes me think that he has a little bit of an edge over Nate in the stand-up. Although Nate's no joke in the stand-up department. Either. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll say this. Like, let, let's get down. Let, let's get down to my pick. Hart says Nate Diaz. I I do love Nate Diaz. Um, but head says Jorge Masvidal, and I I just gotta be honest about that. Um, I don't know how. But I'm picking Jorge Masvidal. And there we go. There we go. Jorge Masvidal is going to beat Nate Diaz. Wow. I'm like, I'm getting chills just thinking about this fight. Like thinking about seeing them standing across from each other in the cage is going to be fucking mental. And actually, I think I was, I alluded to this earlier. The Another thing that I, uh, I lean towards Jorge it's a small thing, but you know, I like to, I said earlier, like I like to, or I've said in past episodes, uh, the mental aspect and like certain other outside factors I like to consider. And I consider the USADA thing. And I'm not saying because of the fact that I thought he, I think he's cheating. I don't, I, I, like I said, I think he's innocent and, uh, the USC proved that, uh, or USADA proved that whatever with the, exonerating him and saying, you know, it was, it was not fine. He's not going to be suspended. They actually publicly made a statement. But the fact that Nate was willing to walk away doesn't mean I'm not saying he's not 100% committed, but just that fact of like, well, I don't I don't need to prove anything to anyone, and Jorge kind of feels like he does in a sense, or like like I know if that had happened to Jorge, you know, I, I think he would be still fighting, or he would have not said anything. That that's kind of how I feel about it. That's also because of his management. Let's be real, like they've dealt with that stuff in the past before. They would have told him to say anything. You know, that's a whole other story. We can talk about that later. But just that aspect of it makes me think, like, I don't know, like, what did he do in that past, that whole 24 hours? Was he not training? Like, I don't know. Like, these are the, these are the questions I have. And, like, to me, like, everything is, like, the stars are aligning for Jorge, I think. Um, but then I could be wrong. This this is, like, the hardest fight on the card to pick. Like, I am almost hoping for a draw. I mean, of course, then we wouldn't get to fucking see one of them with that fucking belt uh, put around them. At the time of releasing this podcast, we have not seen the belt, at least to my knowledge. But I, I want to fucking see that belt so badly. I want to I want to be able to trash it or um, celebrate it. 
I hope they fucking make replica ones that you can buy. I'll fucking buy one. I don't give a shit. And that, that, that's it. That's my picks for uh, UFC 244. It's been a hell of a ride, guys and gals. And uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning into this podcast week by week. You make my life when you do that. And I, I don't often do a, a good job of highlighting the positive things uh, you know, in life because the negative things do weigh me down a lot. So I want to do that more often. I want to I say thank you from the bottom of my heart to anyone listening now and always. Um, shouts to uh, Zim from uh loyal listener from my other podcast mixed martial opinions has been listening to this podcast since day one same with leo um but he's you know been my one of my best friends since really since 2010 since i met him and uh these people have supported me from from the beginning and um shouts to anyone who listened to episode two and kept going because if i was me listening to that podcast i would have said this guy's fucking unstable and does not deserve my listenership and I would have probably turned turned it off. So thank you for anyone still listening after that. Thanks to Trance LFC. Uh, he's been listening since episode three. Uh, that guy's the fucking man. And uh, shouts to Liverpool. You know, fucking Scousers that listen to this podcast. I love each and every one of you. Uh, shouts to the Aussie Invasion. Shouts to anyone in Canada listening to this podcast. Shouts to anyone in America listening to this podcast. Shouts to Bangladesh. Shouts to fucking the Faroe Islands. Shouts to Armenia. I've got listeners in Armenia, dude. I can't, I can't even, like, what? Like, obviously, like, plenty of, there's plenty of Armenians in America that I, w- I would think, like, yeah, Armenians can, can be down my vibe. But if you live in Armenia, like, the fact that I have actual viewers from there, like, blows my mind. Taiwan, dude, are you kidding me? Uh, so thank, uh, thank each and every one of you. And um, if you ever want to um, submit feedback for the podcast, just uh, send me an email, fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. You know, um, sponsorships can be, if you want to sponsor me, uh, shoot me an email there. Like I said, I'm looking for a cannabis sponsorship. I know that's a fucking uh, pie in the sky hope, but I'm, I'm putting it out there. You know, law of attraction and all that. And um, you, you can always uh, reach me anytime. And I'll say this uh, as well. Um, I try and say this every show, but I do forget sometimes. Like if you're going through anything at all, uh, feeling through a bad time, whether it's uh, you know a job in your relationship or anything like that, like please message me. Um, please join the Reddit, um, the MMA Twitter Reddit that we have. Um, my man Imposter I did a good job at um, creating that and being the admin for that. And there's a couple people, I think Grasp Gains and maybe Teep to the Junk. There's a couple people that are like really also big in, in helping him, you know, grow that. So um, I, w- I want to shout out to, to all of you guys um, that are participating in that Reddit there because please, please uh, uh, join that. It's been, it's been nothing but positive so far that I've seen, which is rare for Reddit. You know, so let's keep that going. And, um, yeah, if anyone ever needs me for anything, please reach out and I will, I will try and help you or at least just be there to, to listen and, and, and talk. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes the episode of Fighting With Myself, the 30th episode, I was going to say. Um, with that, good night and good fights.